We'll um, leave you then. It's very rude, you know, to read my thoughts or Mr. Lynch's without our permission. Did you think you were the only one of your kind, young lady? We're mutants, Jean. We are like you. Really? I doubt that. Do you expect me to talk? And welcome to episode 213 of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm your host, Becca, and as always, joined by my fellow mutants, Chris and Dave. How are you both? Good evening, folks. Good evening, everyone. So I haven't been offended by calling you mutants. After all, we're all, as we'll discover later on down the line, everything is a mutation. Well, have you got, have you got something against mutants? Because <laughs> you're apologising for it like I'm, there's I'm something wrong. Myself, so Just reminds okay. me of that Seinfeld episode. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's anything wrong with that, of course. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. But, but anyway, I've got a cure in my pocket, and that's what we're going to refer to it as a cure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though I'm saying that, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with it, but, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but, but, but here's, here's, like, the cure. <laughs> yeah, here's, here's the cure we've spent billions, like, working on because, like, it's such a horrible thing to be, but, you know, good luck to you. <laughs> yeah, good luck to you if you want it. <laughs> And be, uh, but honestly, though, what would be like a better? To, would antidote be be a more applicable, or is that still like negative insinuation there? To be honest, I'm not going to get all PC over this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I, no, I, but I mean, maybe generally, like, no, it's like if you had, if you know, in this world, and yeah. you, and they had like the, the thing that st- makes them stop being mutants. Yeah. What would you call it? Like you know, what would be like a better term? Yeah, for it? That, that's, that, that's the real question I have for today. It's like that's the ethical question. I can't say vaccine because obviously that's what we have for COVID at the moment. But that, that just implies protection, inoculation. Well, let's ask our listeners. If you're a mutant and are worried about any cure, any <laughs> cure, be, any cure being peace described in a non-PC fashion, write to us at expectusatalk@gmail.com. We'll get to the bottom of it. So anyway, what are we covering tonight, Becca? Tonight. A juggernaut, bitch. Anyway. <laughs> oh, no, my God. You, 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 just, you just see the deleted scenes. There was, like, a deleted scene where, like, Vinny Jones, like, runs through the wall. Yeah. Like, and he, he sort of... And he, and he imitates, like, Jack Nicholson in The Shining when he goes, like, here's Juggy. <laughs> here's Juggy. Oh, it's like... Yeah. Dear, dear. I just... I, I really try to... Um, separate art from artists. I've talked about it on so many shows... But it's, diffi- it it's difficult when I never liked the guy to start with because I remember him as a footballer and he played for Wimbledon, a club called Wimbledon for anyone not in this country. Now, there's a whole story about Wimbledon and the moving and becoming a bit of a franchise, which is a very non and, and the Wombles. But they were, a, a, they were, <laughs> they, they always used to play on this persona of we're the crazy gang, like they were a bit um, eccentric. And actually what they were was really fucking violent. You know, they you know, there's there's stories of people like Gary Mabbott having his cheekbones smashed by them. The Vinny and Vinnie Jones was not a particularly good footballer, but he was just like I'm a hard man on the pitch and he was a twat. 
and then I remember listening to, I've often talked of the podcast, uh, I'm trying to think if it was that one he was on, was it School of Movies? It may have been a different one, but they interviewed Dominic Diamond. Oh, wow. And on, on one to, on one occasion, they had Vinnie Jones on get on Games Master or whatever it was called. What was it called? Was it called yeah, Games Master? Yeah, it was Games Master yeah. back in the day. Yeah, it was. And they just said there kept, there kept being delays in the recording. And every time they tried to get him out of his dressing room, he was like, that's another 500 quid then. And he, he's just a fucking asshole. He's a diva. And they've put him... Yeah, he's just a dickhead. And they've just... You know, he's like a non-talented John Terry. Um... <sighs> And they put him in this film, and it's just like, I can't switch that off. It's like, how are you getting work? You're an asshole. He'll probably, he'll, he'll, he is Vinnie Jones. Like, that's, he, he, you know, he's, mm. he's known for obviously being a football player, but and he's just made his career out of being a hard man. And like, if he's in a film, you know, even in, even here as he has a juggernaut, it's still Vinnie Jones, and it's just like, oh my God. Yeah, so it, it, it's just, I found it very off-putting as a young kid, because like, at the age of, even though I quite liked boxing and stuff like that, we were sort of talking off-air about rugby and things like that. I don't like things where they're not meant to be violent, and they're inadvertently violent. So I can't watch rugby, because the, the, the aim is getting the ball over a line, and yet they've got smashed nose, cauliflower ears, brain injuries, and I just think that's fucking ridiculous. At least in boxing, they're, they're meant to be trying to knock each other out. And I felt the same way about Wimbledon. It, it, it was like football, and as a kid, I was kind of enchanted by it, and I liked watching it sort of played pretty, you know, in a pretty fashion. And then you had these bunch of twats just smashing people <laughs> up all the time. I hated them. It's just in. Dave, hate, Dave hates rugby. Yeah. Anyway, what are we covering anyway, tonight? What are we covering tonight, Becky? I had to get out that. I had to get that out of my system because yeah. it's just I've got anti. So what you're saying is you really, really like and admire Vinnie Jones. That's, that's basically I, I do. The crux of it. Well, he's a he's a he's a. Uh, it's amazing how far you can get with no discernible talent. I think is uh, is the lesson he teaches us, and how inspiring mm-hmm. that is. <laughs> well, if he can do it. I didn't like any of that team. Like Dennis Wise went on to go to Chelsea, and he always looked like he was on the verge of like losing his rag. He had these mental eyes. You know, I just I didn't like him at all. But um, what are we covering tonight, Becca? Tonight, it's all about X Men: The Last Stand, starring Hugh Jackman, Halle Berry, Ian McKellen, Famke Janssen, Patrick Stewart, Anne Paquin, James Marsden, Kelsey Grammer, Rebecca Main, Vinnie Jones, and Elliot Page. The score by John Powell, script by Simon Kimberg and Zach Penn, directed by Brett Ratner, <gasps> and released in two thousand and six. Yeah, so a little bit of background on this. We touched on this last week. This is Brett Ratner because the previous, previous guy buggered off. Yeah. <laughs> Brian Singer went off to do Superman Returns. Now, that we told that story on the Superman series that there was a whole six or seven year period where they were trying to launch a, a Superman film longer than that, actually, more like eight years. And, you know, you had Kevin Smith writing scripts, you had Nicolas Cage involved for a while, you had Brett Ratner involved for a while, you had McGee, all these sorts of things. Anthony McGee, Hopkins oh was going to be Jor-El. Wolfgang Peterson, mm. there's going to be like a, you know, Superman but, Batman, Batman versus Batman. Superman film. film. Yeah. And that was likely to have been Colin Farrell and Jude Law, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it would have been any good, I don't know, but the version we got wasn't any good, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but the interesting thing about it is they spent eight years trying to almost reimagine Superman, you know, to, to bring something out that was nothing like the Christopher Reeve, Richard Donner era. And then Brian Singer pitches a continuation of that era and produces the closest thing to a mid 2000s Christopher Reeve film. Um, quality you can talk about, but certainly look, feel, sound, everything. It was a continuation 
and um, but of course that left that left this series in the lurch and I get a little bit confused in the backstory of this because you have Brian Singer who ended up doing Superman you had J.J. Abrams who ended up doing Mission Impossible 3 this year and you ended up with Brett Ratner uh, doing this and I think at some point they were all on each other's properties because originally this obviously would have been Brian Singer, J.J. Abrams was involved in Superman, Brett Ratner was uh, obviously did this but was at one point involved with it. I think Joe Carnahan originally was going to do uh, um, Mission Impossible as well. Yeah, it was, it was, I think David Fincher as well was Mission Impossible 3 as well. The, 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 you know, the, the, he was like yeah, um, like had talks about doing it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, he's been linked to a few things over the years that you think, oh, I can't imagine him doing that, but, you know, he's a very talented filmmaker, so who knows. But um, if you read around now, you'll it doesn't take you very long to come across slightly salty quotes from Matthew Vaughan on this film. Because Matthew Vaughan, obviously because films have to be sets have to be built and effects have to be planned and costumes have to be worked out and everything else quite often it's storyboarded before like a script is finished it storyboards all its main set pieces you know the beats you've got a treatment and matthew vaughan says that the treatment was 90 percent done by him not the treatment the storyboards were all done and it was largely his story but when when he he when he got to the end result he said it's not what i would have done he said my version would have been very similar but it would have been like 40 minutes longer for a start and he said they've just cut all the heart out of what i was planning to do but of course we'll see how matthew vaughan handles a um an x-men film in a couple of weeks time i think it's fair to say we'll be kinder to that than we'll be to this one tonight but they brought Brett Ratner in. Now, Brett Ratner was best known for what at this point? Rush Hour? Yeah, he's, he's done a few things. I think, I think Rush Hour is probably his biggest hit. Um, Red Dragon. Did, didn't he do a film with... Yes. That was kind of like a, his step out of like... He usually just sort of like action comedy kind of... like light, light, light kind of action type sort of things. And there's, there's one this film he did with Piers Brosnan as a thief. After the sunset. And Seven Hype. Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard of um, it, I've not seen it. But then outside of Bond, I'm, I don't want anyone, for all the things I've said over the years, I'm not actually a Pierce Brosnan hater, I just don't necessarily think he was the best Bond. But I've actually enjoyed him mm-hmm. in quite a few things outside of Bond. I think he's he's just more relaxed. I, I, I it Almost like the nerves got to him as Bond, I don't know. But whether you like or hate him as Bond, I've got nothing against him. But at the same time, I'm not like a Brosnan completist because he played Bond. So I don't even know if I've seen After the Sunset. I've certainly not seen The Matador. Um, I've only seen about half of The November Man and I was left completely unsmegging grippied. So I didn't really bother with that. But I mean, the only films I've really, really loved of his is I liked his Thomas Crown Affair and I really liked um, The Tailor of Panama. That's, That's a terrific film, or it was when I saw it like 19 years ago or whatever it was. Uh, Brett Ratner had done two Rush Hour films by this point. He'd done Red Dragon, which was which will always suffer next to Manhunter because it's the same story done poorly. But it wasn't oh, horrendous at the same time. He can sort of approximate. He's a bit like a low-budget J.J. Abrams. He can sort of approximate other filmmakers, just not quite as well. He's he's kind of basically like a generic director, uh, as what I put him as he's, he hasn't really got like a distinct voice of his own he's just kind of like 
you know, he'd he, he, he show up and, yeah. and kind of do kind of what what's that kind of asked, I think. The, the so th- I don't know if he's got, like, maybe, like, a reputation of being, like, um, delivering on time and in budget kind of thing, and that's kind of why he gets work. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I know that, certainly in my opinion, there are plenty of erratic filmmakers out there. You don't know what you're going to get. One's good, one's bad. You're not sure. I suppose Brian Singer now would fall into that category. Um, I think of, so, Brett Ratner's the same, but the top of his game is like reasonably mediocre. Um, the reason I say that is like Rush Hour is kind of fucking irritating, but it's okay. He did a film called The Family Man with Nicolas Cage, which was kind of almost like a a modern version of something, trying to be a modern version of a sort of It's a Wonderful Life. A guy gets gets to see, uh, you know, in that case, or, or perhaps even a bit of Scrooge about it, in that he's he's a driven businessman who gets to see this family life he never got to have because he like mistreated or left Taya Leone years before and he's shown an an, opposite, an an alternative life where they got together and have children and stuff and it's okay um, all, the trailers made it look better than it actually was the, the end result was moderately disappointing but it was okay uh, Red Dragon I thought was pretty weak after the sunset I'd not seen this one we'll talk about tonight and then and then a lot of people talk positively of tower heist but i've not seen it have you i've seen it um it's okay i think it's only probably worth watching in with eddie murphy being Hmm. slightly on form like returning because he's he's very sort of it's a bit more like you know how eddie murphy used to be uh he's very sort of like you know loud and and sweary whereas whereas like usually he puts on a fat suit and and plays half the cast, yeah. I suppose that Dolomite is my name is another example of a film like that. That when Eddie Murphy looks anywhere close to form, the film ends up getting a bit overrated because we miss that man. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then the film, it's, I... it's, but then it's almost like worth seeing though, just for him. If when he when he's yeah. like, it's almost like like when you say talk about Bruce Willis, like, uh, you know, uh, I'm only interested when he is when he he, he wants to be there. You know, it's like we, we it's something like he feels passionate about. Same with Anthony Hopkins. Same with a lot of actors. Yeah. Um, the film I'd forgotten he did was Hercules in 2014 with Dwayne Johnson. And that was one of those... Yeah. I, it was one of those I almost walked out of. And again, very rarely, I've only ever walked out of about four or five things. Now, for some I mean, people... What made you walk out of that one? Because that, that, no, that I just didn't, seems like the most no, inoffensive I, no, no, thing no. in the world. I like... didn't walk out of it. But I'm saying, when I walk out of something, it's never like throw my popcorn down in disgust. It's always like, yeah. I'm really fucking bored. And actually, some yeah. of the worst experiences I've had in a cinema, I haven't. Like, Russell Crowe Noah film. I got to the end of the film, and my friend said to me, I, I wanted to go after about half an hour, and I said, I wish you'd said, because I fucking hated that. Um, but <laughs> the, the Hercules film was a bit like that. I was just painfully fucking bored by it, and I was just like, what am I even doing here? This yeah. is shit. I should have known it. It's a Brett Ratner film. I think um, I think I felt similar with the uh, Lost Airbender. It was the only time I have ever thought of mm. walking out for the exact same reason. I just thought, what's the fucking point? This is just awful. My mind, you know, it's like I, I stuck with it for, for the end just for the sake of it, but on that principle. But yeah, no, I thought the entire thing. I thought that was god awful. He also uh, directed a segment of Movie Forty Three, which is up there as like one of the worst films ever made. Now, I've not seen it. I saw a trailer for it, and I saw a couple of isolated clips, and I went, absolutely no way. But he, <laughs> he, he did it. I mean, isn't there, a, isn't there a section where, like, 
uh, what's he called? Hugh Jackman has like a pair of balls on his chin or something. I don't know. It's yeah. Really shit. But he did the section happy birthday. Now I'm just going to read the couple of sentences that describe it on Wikipedia. Pete captures a leprechaun for his roommate Brian as a birthday present. After tying the leprechaun up in the basement, they demand he give them a pot of gold. The obscene leprechaun threatens his brother is coming to save him. When he arrives, Brian and Pete are shot up, ultimately kill both leprechauns. At the end of the segment, Pete reveals he also caught a fairy who performs fellatio for gold coins. Starring Gerard Butler. (laughs) And Sean William Scott. (laughs) It's Um... Again, this pushes me to the the limit of my can I separate art from artist because Brett Ratner's not a very nice man. And I've never met him, obviously, but if if a tenth of what is said about him is true, then he's a very arrogant, self-serving mistreater of women. Um, So half Hollywood then? Nothing deeply criminal, just deeply sleazy. You know, he, we're not we're not talking as far as I know. We're not talking anything criminal here. We're just talking about what a pig you really are. Um, Zach Penn is involved in the story again, which is very very similar to before. But this is the first entry in the series for uh, Simon Kinberg. Now Simon Kinberg directed Dark Phoenix, which I think we'll mock when we get there because he's effectively done the same film again, sort of. Um, but he writes a lot of the stuff going forward, and and I think the scripts struggle. I mean, he's a producer on X Men. Uh, sorry, he's a writer on this. When it gets to First Class, he's not a writer; he's just a producer. And First Class has a pretty good script. But he wrote Days of Future Past, which is decent, but it's got problems. He wrote Apocalypse. He wrote Dark Phoenix. But then he didn't write Logan. So basically he's just nothing he's nothing executive to do with any of the good ones. Um and he's just like a bit of a piss stain over the worst ones. But yeah. Um so change of director this week, change of writer this week. Um I think I'm right in saying change of cinematographer this week. But again, that the cinematographer, uh what's he called? Dante Spinotte. He did um, LA Confidential, he did The Insider, Frankie and Johnny, he did... Uh, Manhunter, funnily enough. Manhunter, Wonder Boys. Um, so, uh, yeah. He, I was yeah. going to say, whatever you think of this film in terms of script or direction, at yeah. least it looks good. It looks absolutely fine. He did Punk Public Enemies for Michael so Mann it is as well. Weird. So, so he shot Red Dragon and Manhunter. Yeah. So when we go forward and see if he did Dark Phoenix as well, he he, he must get... We needed ba- Brian Cox in this film. Sort of last week, we needed him in this film. <laughs> I, I just need to see if he did that as well, because if that's the case, he gets quite a lot of deja vu on, <laughs> on sets. No, he didn't do that one, actually. Yeah, if, if, if you just, like, watch... If you just, like, comparison, like, watch, like, the same scenes, yeah. like, for, like, that was in Manhunter and uh, Red Dragon, you can kind of tell the kind of director Brett Ratner is. He's just plain static. He's... Yeah, you know, and, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily a negative thing, but you know, it just you know, you can just sort of tell that he's kind of his style yeah. is very vanilla. His biggest like, plus is like, like, style, isn't oh, it? Unfortunately, yeah. his yeah. biggest plus is he gets out of the well, way. Well, it's, it's just not showy. It's not like no, understated. Like he's got any mm. sort of, yeah. I, I think I think if like I don't think he puts much thought in his shots. 
Yeah. Uh, but you probably, you know, but it's just it's just about like you know, well, making sure that that works and that flows properly. That's probably. Maybe we should do the Hannibal Lecter films and do the comparison. We will do the Hannibal Lecter films at some point. Um, And the Quaidu and the Gory bits. Music this time is music. This time is John Powell, and I honestly think, unless it's a really lazy sort of obituary where they just pick the latest thing he did, they will say born composer John Powell has died today at the age of whatever it happens to be, because I think that's what he'll be best remembered for. He did. He did. he did the original Bourne trilogy. He did Jason Bourne. I'm just looking to see. He didn't do the spin-off with Budget Daniel Craig. What's he called? Uh, Jeremy uh, That's it. Budget Daniel Ratner, Craig. Ratner, Ratner, Basically, Ratner. if you ordered like Daniel Craig from Wish, Jeremy Renner would turn up. <laughs> he's, he's like da- Daniel Craig when he's been smashed about the face a bit more. Um, so it, there's actually reasonably um, that's a bit harsh <laughs> there's reasonably accomplished cast involved in this um, a trio of directors who've been involved in things like uh, the uh, Rise of the Planet of the Ape was one of them that I, I spotted um, Showgirls <laughs> Showgirls great um Oh god, the Pink Panther films. So yeah, it's it's a mixed bag, but we do have a decent cast here. We running time. We're back to the sort of running time of god, the first film. Those, those Pink Panther remakes, like seriously, who thought they were a good idea? Like, um, the first who, who, one surprised who, who, where was even, me. Where was even the demand for them? I I, I can't imagine that like, it was like I know what I really want to see. I want to see the like you know I want to see like Steve Martin actually sort of play John, John well, Detective Clouseau. The first one, my 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 expectations were so low. And I laughed a few times, so I thought, well, this is okay. I mean, is it is it like the better ones? No. But by the end, like, Peter Sellers was doing crap ones near the end. So you know, it was okay. It, you know, it was all right. Then I went to watch the sequel, which I believe had John Cleese in it, and it was painful. It was like watching, like, the worst bits of, like, a Johnny English film or something. Mm. But what we will say about this is it's still sort of under the auspices of... of Lawrence Eula Donner, it's still the same sort of cast. It's, you know, same production company, same set, same everything. So it does feel a cohesive part of the series. I think the first thing I'd point out, though, if I haven't already said it, is this is 104 minutes. And whilst I think we all like a good tight running time, when you're knocking half an hour off the last film, I think we'll see this film's just slightly rushed in the way it feels, but its budget's been significantly uh, raised. The, the budget... I wonder if part of it's got to do with the fact that where they're on the um, the Golden Gate Bridge, like, night night comes really quickly. Like, there's a scene where it's, like, broad daylight, and then in the next scene, there's night time. Yeah. And it's like, so <laughs> quickly, cool. make it night. We don't have to animate as much. Literally, you know, he's there sort of saying, oh, nothing will stop us, rah, rah, and then literally in the next scene, oh, it's night time, and it's just like, oh. <laughs> I know, no, no, I know, I know, it's this time. And when the sun's going, when when you do see it, a, a sort of vaguely twilight, it looks really fake, but we'll get to it. Mm-hmm. This film has... We'll come to it, sorry to jump. No, this film has, I would say, weaker effects than last week, and that's partly because I think it's more ambitious, it's trying to do more, and it doesn't always work. I think, yeah, there are some in the bigger scenes, some of like the, the smaller scenes are okay, but some of the big like the, the big money shots, as I call them, I think perhaps obviously you know, one technology, modern TVs, one thing, another, and with upscaling, perhaps they don't come off well, but, but otherwise, otherwise you know, right, it's well. If you're not sure what Becca's talking about, just Google money shots. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean. 
<laughs> Google image search money shots. Person. That'll clear it all Here's up money. for you. Yeah, no. uh, and funnily enough, a lot of those pictures require a bit of a clean up as well. Um, yeah, you know two, what I'm about, sorry. The, the budget <laughs> is anywhere between 85 and 100 million more than the last film, depending on which source you believe. And it took about 460, which is the highest grossing until I think Days of Future Past, but don't hold me to that. So that's background on it. I saw it in the cinema on opening night. Again, I think I was all in on them at this point. And it was one of those summers we get it now and again. I'm, I'm trying to think what now without looking. But certainly Superman Returns, but I can't think what else. But there were a number of the films that year I was kind of excited about. So it was, you know, it kicked off with like X-Men in May. And I was like, great, I'm in for like a great summer here. So I was kind of excited to go and see this. Um, a couple of years later, going to see, I think it may have been Iron Man. And I was sat a couple of seats away from a young, well, he was comic book man in human form. And <laughs> he, he started getting a little bit annoyed at the end of the film. Or was he pleased at the end of the film? I can't forget which. He had a visceral response at the end of the, whatever film we were watching that was comic book related. And I, I have a feeling it was positive. And he actually told me, seemingly proud, that he was thrown out of X-Men The Last Stand because he was so vocally pissed off at the end of the film. I mean, this guy was about 22, I reckon. And they, they just, like, kicked, they kicked him out because he was, like, you know, worst X-Men movie ever. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Worst movie ever. This, this got pretty weak reviews, but when I say weak, I'm just looking for its Rotten Tomatoes score. 57%, so it's only, like, 3 or 4% below, like, something like The Phantom Menace, which, when when there's anticipation for a film, a lot of people almost struggle to believe they're watching something poor so they kind of hedge their bets and give a three star review or something so i think its reputation is now worse than that 57 percent. but i dare say that's a similar sort of approval rating as something like man of steel and i would say man of steel is a stronger film than this but you know we can debate that when we get to that film i suppose um but yeah i saw it and i thought it was okay i certainly didn't have a visceral hatred of it I just thought it was like I thought it was an X-Men film on fast forward and I'm kind of straying into my opening thoughts here really I thought it was an X-Men film with a load of good constituent parts kind of mixed into the wrong order so if you're going to kill Scott don't do it in like one of the first couple of scenes of the film um, I felt like we, we were skipping scenes like there may have been a scene in between that would have a bit of heart but we skip over it and get to the next bit and all of a sudden we're in Act 3. And what was put in front of me was okay. Um, I like it less now than I liked it at the time, certainly. But it just seemed like, it did seem like a half-decent X-Men film with all its heart stripped out. Therefore not a very good X-Men film. What about you guys? Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I remember kind of being, you know, therefore it kind of back in the day. Um... I think I probably saw it a couple of times at the cinema. I just sort of got dragged by sort of friends to go and see it. Um, and also, because of grammar, is a really big draw for me in this film. I think it's brilliant that he's Beast. I think that's fantastic. Mm. Um, but yeah, this time around, 
Um, I sort of mi- it, 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 don't you think it's missing like David Hyde Pierce, like done up as a it lion? It is. Yeah, or I, do, I do miss that. Yeah, I'm <laughs> missing the, the Fraser reference. Or like you know, in Teen Wolf, so leaves popping up. You know, in Teen Wolf, where he turns into a wolf for the first time, and his dad's knocking on the door, and when he opens the bathroom door, his dad's there as like an elderly werewolf. <laughs> shouldn't like, we have had John? All about it. Shouldn't we have John Mahoney as a really John great Mahoney elderly beast with his cane? <laughs> or blue? Great <laughs> yeah. So sorry, yeah. Kelsey Grammer was a no, yeah. for me. I must admit. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I just think that's fantastic. That's a genius piece of casting, I think. Um, and it's fantastic, I reckon. Um, yeah. So yeah, I remember watching the film ages ago and thinking, oh, this is a load of rubbish, you know. But now we're watching it sort of critically. We're trying to cast a like half critical eye. Um, it is very rushed. Some of the effects really don't hold up during the during the big money shots as they are. Um, Ian McKellen does ham it up fantastically as Magneto, definitely. Um, but yeah, it is, you know, I was amazed. I was surprised by the you know sort of one hour forty five rushing t- um, rushing time, um, running time, um, and was like, wow, okay, this is a quick one. But it does you know it does move along you know quite the pace. Um, it doesn't kind of let you let you breathe very much. Um, and it does kind of feel as if you know they try to get out there as quickly as they could, and it does sort of lack a little bit in terms of like sort of plot and character development. Some you know because of its short runtime, um, or relatively short runtime, things do fall by the wayside a little bit. Um, and then you've got obviously day passing into night really quickly, which <laughs> speeds things up a little bit. Um, but no, I, I still enjoyed it. It's, this is kind of where it starts to go downwards a little bit. Um, it's still quite funny. We, you know, got some got some good lines. Um, no, I did write them all down, but they've all escaped me now. But uh, yeah, there's a line between like, um, Beast and Wolverine where he's like, oh, but, you know, I've been doing X, Y, Z since before you had claws and things like that. Um, and they're just some funny little lines. And obviously, Pretty James is juggernaut. Oh my God, hums it up. Just cringe your way through his scenes. Um, Matthew Vaughn for that. Really, really good. So, really enjoyed Sorry, that. Matthew Vaughn what? Uh, he thanked Matthew Vaughn for casting Vinnie Jones because, you know, that he... That was part of the the casting thing for him. Yeah, that was kind of his legacy, wasn't it? I've got, I've got a fun fact coming up about that one, but Thanks. it's sort of um, fucking Dennis, legacy. Dennis um, Wise's Wolverine. Yeah, yeah, cast from <laughs> Billy Jones, um, and oh, the, the chap who plays Angel, where he's trying to cut off his wings. And Jason Statham as Xavier. Yeah, just just to interrupt <laughs> to say, this is the first thing I ever saw Ben Foster in. That was it. I can uh, remember his name. Apologies. Ben Foster has been in loads of things, but two things that spring to mind is he was one of the bad guys in the remake of 310 to Yuma and really quite nasty in it. But about three or four years ago, he played Lance Armstrong in a biopic of everything that happened with Lance Armstrong and, you know, the drug taking and all that sort of thing. And he was mm. quite eerily like him as well. So Ben Foster's quite a talent. And yeah, he's really good. Started. He's you know really good character actor. I think whatever he pops up in, you know, he always kind of adds value, adds value to that to that production. Um, I think there are two things I just want to point out that might explain a couple of things here. Um, two hundred and ten million budget, according to Wikipedia and other sources I've read. This was I see now. I thought Spider Man. No, it must have been Spider Man three that was two two five then, because I thought Spider Man two was. Yeah, um, it must have been more expensive. It, it says it was the most expensive film to be made until uh, Dead Man's Chest. Dead Man's Chest came along. Uh, that was worth the money, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> but shooting began in August two thousand and five and wrapped in January two thousand and six. The film came out in May. That's very rushed for an effects heavy film, isn't it? 
So I think that's part of the problem. And I think when we're when we're going to be sort of summarising that whatever the positives of this film, it all feels a bit rushed. It is like they're retrofitting. Let's just get something out for that date. And they've got together a relatively cohesive story with all its problems. But um, that sounds to me... At 210 million budget, the effects should be pretty damn good. And... They're not bad, but the problems, and I think they, they were clearly rushing it, and it must be that Matthew Vaughan dropped out late. Does anyone know why Matthew Vaughan dropped out? I can't remember. I think it was like family or scheduling issues, I think. Just like private private issues, I think. It was, it was a story at the time. I can't remember the exact reason, but yeah, sort of private or, um, or scheduling conflicts, I imagine. You met Claudia Schiffer and couldn't believe his luck. So I'm, not, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm, not com- I'm not coming to well. work. Yeah. All right, so it so I'm just looking to see if I can find He's it. Otherwise engaged. So he dropped out. Let's phone him up. Hello. No. <clears throat> yeah, one month later, studio. So, so the filming was due February 2005. They still had no director, and they announced a release date for about three weeks earlier than it did come out. It's due to start July 2005 in Vancouver. One month after that, so. What would that be? March 2005, they signed Matthew Vaughan and pushed the release date back. He made some casting. That family issues led him to withdraw before filming began. Vaughan was also cautious of the tight deadlines imposed by Fox, stating he didn't have time to make the movie I wanted to make. So he drops out, having due, been due to start in July. They lose another month when they bring on Brett Ratner. Brett Ratner doesn't have time to put anything on it himself, really. So he and yeah, he's it says, picking up the pieces, really, isn't he? After and he, he just else. he just had to trust his writers because he he didn't know anything of the X Men, um, and so th- I think that what what we're what we're saying is that's possibly why this the script feels rushed, but also the effects feel a bit incomplete in places. Now that isn't always film breaking, because X Men First Class was was done from start to finish in about eleven months and has some ropey effects, but it doesn't matter. But then Apocalypse was rushed and has terrible effects. So it's a bit of a mixed bag. But it seems to be that whatever it is they do as a sort of in treating this as a project to be managed, they seem to always end up with a really truncated schedule. And that's what's happened here as well. Yeah, because wasn't, um, you know, uh, first class, that was like a short. I think it was 11. It was out 11 months after it was announced. Um, now, obviously, some work had gone on behind the scenes, but I don't think they'd even started filming at that point. And in fact, mm. things like January Jones casting like happened after that announcement. So I think it was rather rushed. And we know we know Apocalypse was. And it just it just speaks to a lack of care that you haven't had a film out since two thousand and three. You have plenty of time to get your ducks in a row on this. Yeah, it was just yeah. too, too much, you know, too much too quickly. Um, they just kind of rushed, obviously went through lots of chops and changes and just went, you know, they had to get something out. Um, and it, unfortunately, it just fell to a bit rattler, sadly, but, you know, they kind of couldn't line everything up in time. Mm. This is what we're left with. And, you know, what else can we do? Here we are talking about it. So, What did you make of it, Chris? Mm. Yeah, I'm kind of a bit conflicted, really, about it, because um, in, in, in some ways, this is very much a weaker film than the other two. And I think that was my first reaction after coming out of it. I was uh, kind of thinking, I was looking at, oh, I wish Brian Singer would, you know, 
was able to finish off the, the you know this film like evil i wish he'd stayed on to finish this or i wish the you know, fox would have waited uh, to let him uh, finish it off kind of thing um now i'm i'm a little bit weird because i i kind of if you gave me a choice out out of the three we've reviewed i'd probably prefer to watch this one <laughs> and i know this sounds like that sounds like almost like heresy for, <gasps> for some people i fell off my chair I mean, <laughs> well, like Ted Danson. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know. It's, I think it's kind of, kind of mixed. I mean, but but the same, but in the same breath, I recognise the fact that you know the the actual you know quality has dropped. You know, I mean, I'm not going to sort of try and convince anyone that this is like a better film than, than, than the other two. Um, it's it's kind of has interesting ideas, and I think a lot of that is probably from the Matthew Vaughan because uh, I quite like Matthew Vaughan quite a lot. Um, and I think, you know, and by sounds of it, you know, by sounds of it, you know, what Matthew Vaughan's actually said, uh, it probably is like all, all the interesting stuff is probably from like his draft or you know or his ideas that's just like pushed into this kind of, you know, very lightweight, very sort of, very quick, very sort of like, you know, just like run of the mill kind of film. And with that, it's very easy to intake and it's very easy watch, but it's very unfulfilling <laughs> at the same time. But then it, it, it has some interesting stuff. You know, the you know, particularly any stuff with Magneto, I think is great. I think I think how they, you know, the stuff with like the you know quote unquote the cure, um, you know how he turns on uh, Mystique, you know, and his the the whole his whole attitude towards like, you know, like, he, he, you know, in the sense that he sees mutants as better and that's all he cares about. And then for him to actually have that taken away, it's like the perfect way to end that character's arc. It's like, you know, mm. I, I, you know, there's, there's stuff in that that I just think that's great. That is generally, that is, you, that, that's, well, I, I wouldn't say done well, but you know, you know, but when you see, but in the grand scheme of things, you think, that's exactly how it should have been. <laughs> you know, if it's you're not, do, it's like, not if you're treated do, like... with a total lack of care. And I think the I've always said, well, I've not always said, I think I thought about it last year when we first talked about doing this series. Like I said in the first episode, I kind of break the films that I've seen into roughly sort of three segments. And this is in the shit ones, but it's like so much better than the other two shit ones that it, it, it almost doesn't belong there. And it certainly... Of the poorer entries, it's the one I had at least the least visceral bad reaction to. Whereas, yeah. like X Men Origins Wolverine, we'll talk about next week because I had a really strange reaction to that. And, and Apocalypse, I was really shocked. I mean, you come out of X Two in the first two films, and because the preoccupations and subtext of those films are so in line with what we know Singer had an interest in, you think of it as his series. Well, it got to a point that when he came back for Days of Future Past, I was just disappointed it wasn't Matthew Vaughan. The guy wasn't the same filmmaker anymore. Mm. And actually, some of the best work wasn't his. So I, I wish this had been Matthew Vaughan, given the time he wanted. So if he felt he needed six months, stick it out in the Bond slot, sort of end of October, beginning of November or something. Actually, they would have put it, gone up against Casino Royale then, so that might have been a bad idea. But you take my point, put it out at Christmas or something, give him the time that he needs, because Matthew Vaughan over the years has, has proved at very least to be a solid, solidly entertaining filmmaker. 
Whereas Brett Ratner just seems somewhat bland to me. Yeah, um, and, and I think that's kind of what it is. It's kind of very... Ultimately, it's just very throwaway. Um, you know, it's, it's almost feels like a wasted opportunity. Uh, there is, on the other hand, on the probably more negative side, um, there's the stuff with Jean Grey, uh, particularly. I mean, and this is kind of what maybe what like you know fans of uh, of, of of the X Men comics would probably you know side with side with me on this really. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm all, of, of, well in reality, I'm probably just sort of sort of you know copying their homework and I'm sort of speaking on behalf of them when to try but the whole idea of Jean Grey as this as this like mega mutant yeah but it's just like suppressing this path doesn't really work I mean especially when you put it in the context of you know this idea of like you know like mutants like in the, in the power world like of, of rights a human human rights kind of thing and like you know and, the, and then there's a there's a cure and what's the ethics in that you know you know these are all interesting questions, but when you have like, but when in the same film you have literally a mutant, which is mutants are supposed to be like, you know, something you can't control, you're just born with it. It's like evolution, but when you have like a mutant though, which is so, which is meant to be so powerful, almost godlike, but someone who is unable to control that power, almost to like disastrous effect, what the fuck are you supposed to do with that? You know, it kind it kind of like falls, you know, kind of like, you know, it kind of almost like doesn't belong, and it also it it kind of just pisses over like the the Jean Grey character as well, like you know, and 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 to top all off with like the, you know, and and well, you know, to a bit of context, like in the comics, Jean Grey isn't like this super mutant with these unable control of powers kind of thing, you know, the Phoenix is like this like sort of entity that comes on like on like a galaxy somewhere which is drawn to Jean. You know, it kind of like embodies her. You know, when she kind of what happens in uh, in the other film, but you know, the, in the later film, but you know, later film kind of does the same thing. Anyway, that's getting into it. Yeah, um, we'll get we'll get back to that because it has. Um, it, but, yeah. it, it plays on some of the problems that I've got with badly done team up films. Anyway, but we'll get and yeah. we see it again, particularly with Apocalypse. Yeah. But, I, I just want to say we have never killed a celebrity this fast, guys. I mentioned Richard Donner about 12 minutes ago and he was announced as dead five minutes later. Oh, fuck it. Really? Yeah, Richard Donner has passed away. Really? Uh, Yeah, I've just seen it from Charlie, actually, a long-time contributor to this show. Charlie just posted it on this Facebook page. I've just checked um, Variety. We've just done Lethal Weapon as well, haven't we? Variety. It's got to be a new record. Well, actually, Variety announced it 17 minutes ago at the time oh, of recording. If right. you look at their site. Let's get Superman on. Come on, let's do so, it. Um, yeah, so we mentioned Lawrence Shula Donner and Dick Donner around the time Variety were writing that, so we didn't kill him, but again, another... <laughs> we, I, I don't, we never actually killed anybody. It's just we happened to mention it. Unfortunately, they passed away. I mean, he was in his 90s, to be fair, but... Yeah, he, was 90, oh 90, he was born in, in April of... 1930, so he was 91. Oh, oh. I'm sorry to hear that. That's, that's a ripe old age, yeah. you know. Well, uh, well, as an eminent, eminent career. And a very eclectic one as well, you know. There was like. Yeah, so, very, you know, so much variety. Does, yeah. Not many sort of uh, directors have got. I've done like the sort of films that. Mm. 
Do, no, well, he's, he's like, like all, you, know, you know, most, most if not all genres, you know, he's worked with the, you know, whole bunch of people. Horror, comedy, buddy cop, superhero. Action, superhero, yeah. cop movies, everything. And, and he was he's at, done it all. at least somewhat good at all of them. Yep, he's, he's done it all. He leaves it, you know, he leaves a very, cast a very long shadow. Except the Goonies, but I'll forgive him. Oh, God. <laughs> um, well, other people like it. So other people like we'll it. To... Yeah, so. It's just us, it's just us two, Dave. It's with, just, it is just me and you. You're, you're the weirdos. <laughs> Um, and he, yeah, he did. He did various TV shows as well. He had, I know he worked on The Man from Uncle, um, and a couple oh. of other things. Um, I, I believe. No, I am looking at it now. I, I don't want to cheat. I knew that one, but I'm looking, and it does say the Six Million Dollar Man, the Fugitive, Kojak. Um, and he directed um, several episodes of Danger Island, part of the children's series, The Banana Splits. No, no, no. Yeah, we covered his Superman films, which is technically only the first one, but obviously he did a lot of the second one, and there's a Donner cut that we referred to. So I dare say two Superman films. We covered all four, uh, all four of his um, uh, Lethal Weapon films, weapons. and we did Scrooge as our Christmas commentary a, a couple of years ago. Um, so. Yeah, we've 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 covered about seven of his films, and obviously Lawrence Shuler Donner is a producer on all of these. His wife, so um, the most the, the the most eclectic one example of a film he did is he did the toy, the Richard Pryor comedy, mm-hmm. and I've always complained Richard Pryor was never captured properly by Hollywood. It's maybe stir crazy, but not very often. Uh, the toy is actually surprising. I think he was too much of a funny. genius, I think, to be to be captured by Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you you know, you don't get great George Carlin films, do you? Do you know what I mean? Some people just aren't designed for that. But, no. Um, yeah, so anyway, that's a goodbye to Richard Donner. Oh, that is, that is such a shame. This year, oh my God. So anyway, back to appraising, so, yeah, back, back, anyway. back to appraising the work of Brett Ratner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, yeah, so back to another dick. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, as I, yeah, as I say, yeah. So for for context, um, like uh, to put it broadly speaking, um, in the comics, uh, the Dark Phoenix saga is kind of born out of this you know, this entity that gets drawn into uh, Gene after like a near death experience. Um, yeah, there's much more deeper history in that, obviously. So, but that's just, kind yeah. of that's sort of the way they go with the Dark Phoenix film. With this film, it's yeah. kind of born into a. Because yeah, and 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 to be fair, and let's kind of get what I was going to say about uh, the the love angle, which you know, by the time we get to the end end of the climax of the film, and you know, you know, you have Wolverine telling Jean, "I love you." I couldn't be more nonplussed about a, a, like a, like a romance about anyone. And then, given yeah, this is the third film, I was like, oh. "While I think of it, Chris, um, if you've got a favourite love angle, write to us at expectusatalkinggmail.com." <laughs> I love, but you, but do you know what I mean? And, and and to be fair, on you know Brett Ratner, um, this isn't all down on him because you know we've had this is the third film now. You know, you, you know. You had a previous two films to set all this up, and I, 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 I've got to be honest. I felt nonplussed about the romance angle on, on that on on those films as well. So, you know, and and so and that that, that speaks with like the the you know the Dark Phoenix saga. Like you know, it, it was literally just like, oh, 
last film, Jean can't is struggling with her with her powers, and then she sacrificed herself, and then all of a sudden, Dark Phoenix. You know what I mean? It's you know you, there isn't a lot to go on, so I don't blame the makers for having to just sort of come up with something because to come up with like, well, there's this like you know this this space entity that sort of, you know in in space is just probably a bit much to explain, even in like a two two hour thirty minute movie. But anyway, yeah, anyway, so yeah, so in in summary, entertaining, uh, rushed, um, a bit haphazard, but has some interesting stuff in it. I think the point is this film, this film, for all its heart in places, and it does have some, it doesn't feel authored in quite the same way. And when you go and watch Brett Ratner's career, he, I don't think he's ever once elevated anything. He's never once brought anything to a film that you you you, you don't think there's a lorry load of directors who could do that. If you know, even a Michael Bay, I, I don't like Michael Bay's work very much at all, but I can spot, even as a non-filmmaker, he's, even as not someone who's had not a day of film training in my life, I can spot some very obvious technical talent there. And with Brett Ratner, I just see I just see a very obvious work-a-day filmmaker. So, you know, but you actually see people trying to be like Michael Bay. Do you know what I mean? There, there is like, you know, he does have a signature. And he does have like a trademark thing that, but it isn't. Like it isn't style. just. It isn't just people getting out of cars at sort of sundown and putting glasses on or whatever. It isn't yeah. just that. He's actually a pretty decent shot maker. Um, I, I don't like his stuff at all. But Brett Ratner, I've never seen what it is that. I mean, because he's always he, he, certainly before all this stuff sort of broke about him. He was always linked with very high budget stuff, and and it's like the directing equivalent of Orsi and Kurtzman. That it's like, well, I think Orsi and Kurtzman are worse pound for pound, but you know some of their stuff's fairly serviceable, and and I, I hear they're okay on TV. But you, you you're just like, how did you get to do this? There, there must be so many more talented yeah. people out there than there's, him. It's there's been a, like a thing. Uh, well, I've been thinking about. Uh, along these sort of lines it's like you know it, it like is is movie is movies entertainment or is it art or is it product oh it's or product is it, you know, it's, it's it's pure product at this end do you know what I mean and, 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 and I think I think there's like you know that line kind of like there's there's a bit of mixture in everything and there's like there's some that's more entertainment and product than than others and some that's more art well I mean it's all product and then they but you know, this, but some of the small art and you know, and, and entertainment comes in. Whereas, whereas, whereas uh, Brett Ratner is probably product. Yeah, it, like, it, yeah, it, I'll go. It, it, I'll do it. I can, I can get you that film done in this period of time. Yeah, yeah probably. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to see where he ever transcended anything. Like the, the best he, the best he ever is, is like serviceable enough. But I mean, it, there are there were there were worse out there. I mean, Paul W. S. Anderson, I think, is a worse filmmaker. I think um, Stephen Summers. I mean, his films were just as loud and big as he could physically make them, and they got really obnoxious. I, I found like Van Helsing unwatchable, and I mean literally unwatchable. I switched it off within an hour because I, I thought like Kate Beckinsale was doing a fucking comedy skit. Um, but anyway, shall we discuss this film sequentially, folks? Yeah, I'm just trying to remember what Stephen Summers doing these days. <laughs> well, that's I think that's part of the point, isn't it? I mean, if, if, is he? I'll look him up now. But has he been? Has he been um, linked with anything recently? I'll look him up anyway. We'll get to him. 
but he's done. <laughs> his last two films have been Scorpion King. Oh no, not as a director. His last film was a film in 2013 called Odd Thomas, which is based on a Dean yeah. Koontz novel. Can't comment on that. He did the uh, G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra. And his last film before that was Van Helsing, which was on Watchable Dreck. He did the first I two Mummy needs, films. His career needs a shot on the arm. Uh, the, the two Mummy films were okay. I don't really remember Deep Rising. The Deep Rising's fun enough. Uh, Jungle Book, I actually quite enjoyed it when I've seen that cinema. Serviceable. Yeah, I remember they did a live-action one in the 90s, yeah. I thought, oh, Catch Me If You Can. It's not that Catch Me If You Can. It's about 13 <laughs> years before that. So he didn't direct... I mean, normally, a named director does the first one and then like acts as a producer on like the sequels that are straight to DVD. Mm. He did it the other way around. He didn't direct the Saw Corpion Kings, but he did the lazy spin-offs. No, he didn't. Sorry, he didn't. He was an exec on those as well. My mistake. I did just say that, actually. So he's only done two films since Van Helsing in 2004. So, uh, obviously, his uh, stock fell through the floor quite quickly. Um, anyway. So, yeah, um, Brett Ratner's, as a filmmaker, not all, not all bad, but there's not much about him that stands out. What I will say, though, is for all its flaws, I quite like the opening scene of this film. Yeah, so we, you know, it's just like this is where we're seeing like you know young CGI. This is probably start the trend of do all that de-aging. sort of stuff. The de aging. Yeah. I mean, we'd had CGI for years, but this was one of the first times I saw people obviously and deliberately made to look younger. I mean, I don't know what little nips and tucks get done mm. for actors' vanity, but this was the first time where we were like, this is Patrick Stewart, and we're basing this on how he looked in the first series of Star Trek: The Next Generation. That's what well, that was their guide. But it, 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 the, their faces look really rigid, really rigid. They, they look like they sort of. I think it's when they smile. I think. Yeah, but I like the idea because the the film. Yeah, it, does, it does look a bit creepy though. <laughs> well, the, I don't know if they've used a different film stock, but it looks a bit grainier somehow, and obviously they've got all the fashion and cars older. And there's something about this I kind of like. And of course, you've got Xavier, and we're always like, "How were they friends?" And it's like, "Well, you actually see back when they were friends." Yeah, that's when when we go back to the days of, mm-hmm. um, you know, when they were a lot younger. Obviously, you kind of learn how they got together and how they came to know each other and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I just kind of think it's, it's just, they look very strange. It's like look at their faces. Yeah, yeah. they're sort of like this is when they were friends, but they're still almost like at odds. They're still almost like rivals, weren't they? You're like yeah. It's like, oh, you're still trying to change me, <laughs> Charles. Yeah. Yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, we, we've got where it's going to go, but they're, they're visiting a young girl called Jean, and obviously we work out immediately this is Jean Grey as a child, uh, when Famke Janssen was about 22, but there you go, she never ages. <laughs> Famke Janssen, I'm sure, was born in like 1964 or something, so she would have been in yeah. her 20s by now, but she just doesn't age. Um. And I don't know if they've been called there by the parents or what, but they're there to meet this sort of very special mutant. Mm. And this kid can read minds and she can levitate the cars outside. Shocking Stan Lee. And then <laughs> she, he offers her the He's chance just to... just trying learn. to water his garden, God damn it! Yeah. Yeah. Well, if he was having a piss, it would have gone flowing right in his face, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, that would have been embarrassing, wouldn't it? I know. Excelsior. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so that she's offered a, she's more or less offered a place at the school isn't she and then we cut yeah. forward 10 years 
Uh, so we're now in 1996, and we've got a boy of, <coughs> I don't know, 12, 13. <coughs> um, and he's sort of shot, shot, he's in a luxury sort of high rise. I don't know if it's yeah. an office or their home or what, I don't know. But he's in the bathroom trying to cut off what we find out are like wings. Mm. But they're, they're white wings like you see on a, a dove or something. And he's crying his eyes out and his son, it, it, he walks in this Warren Worthington and says, oh no, not you. Um, we don't know at this point, but he's either a businessman or a politician or both at this stage we don't know and then we cut forward to the danger room and again I just think yeah skipping forward a bit quick really but okay so it kind of starts off on this kind of like uh, false pretense type sort of thing where it's like oh no everything's all escalated to this sort of like little where like you know the you know the major cities comes like battlegrounds and you've got like uh uh, uh, what do you call them? Uh, those big machines. I forgot what they call them. Sentinels. Sentinels. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, the these sentinels hunt them down, and it turns out to be all like holodeck or something like that. Yeah. Um. I don't know if I knew going in because uh, the sentinels were a bit of an Easter egg for fans of the comic books. Now the sentinels appear in mm. later films, so we're now familiar with them. But at the time. I don't know. It was. It turned out to be something from some simulation. As it turned out, we didn't know what they were fighting. I had no context. Didn't know what it was. Um, but I, mm. I, I knew this was a simulation. So I wonder. I don't think I'd read a synopsis when I went in, but I just wonder if I'd read it in some review. Like maybe a review said something along the lines of fans will eagle-eyed fans will also spot the first appearance of the Sentinels, although it turns out just to be a training exercise or something like that. Mm. Um. So I knew this was a simulation. So, and on rewatch, I always get a bit frustrated with it because I know I know it's not actually anything. So it's like just get this bit done so we can get the story started. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you know, I think it, you kind of see it coming a mile off, really, don't you? Mm. Because it just sort of like it comes from fucking nowhere. You just sort of like hang on. Yeah, and we we're starting to see Kitty Pride and. Um... Iceman have some sort of chemistry mm. because he's he he wants some damn it. Oh uh, yeah, I, I get I get again. This doesn't make him just a bit of a fucking dick though. I mean, the the, the film kind of like, I, I again, the film tries to be nice nice ones because it kind of cuts around, but there there is like stuff where he actually kisses her and then like sort if, of. If I didn't back. know better. And I do know better because this film was rushed and apparently Brett Ratner kind of butted out of most of the writing. But this seems like a Brett Ratner sensibility that he would genuinely think, well, it's perfectly reasonable. He can't get any there, so he's got to get some somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Whereas, like, that, that is quite a cold and callous way to look at it. Although you would understand that when he can't be physically close with the person he does want to be with, yeah. that might be frustrating. But I think to to play it out this way strikes me as very Brett Ratner. But how much, if anything, he had to do with pushing it that way, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, well, there's a scene later on, so that, that's probably a bit more like, oh, for fuck's sake, you wouldn't do that, you know? Yeah. It, you wouldn't do that if you weren't like, yeah, thinking about it. You know what I mean? The one thing I will say about this film is I can I I do remember from first watching some of the mechanics of sort of set up and payoff 
are a bit more obvious here. So Wolverine gets Colossus to throw him straight at the robot. And I thought, right, it's the first modern day scene of the film. So they're setting up something to happen at the end. Which is exactly yeah. the case. Um, and it switches off. It's like, uh, yeah, it is It is like the holodeck on Star Trek or something, basically, that they're in. Um, it does refer to it as the near future. So, I don't know. When it says 20 years ago, I don't know if it means 20 years ago from the near future or 20 years ago from now, so God knows. But we, we won't worry about that too much. Yeah, so you just sit back and enjoy yourself. And that goes for you too, listeners. <laughs> uh, uh, and we've got like Scott. Yeah, so Scott. Scott's basically yeah. So Wolverine's kind of like yeah. help. You kind of get the impression that Wolverine's just there like helping out as Scott's kind of cry yeah, wanking on his own. Yeah, feeling sorry for himself. Yeah. Um, and he does his whole. You know, Wolverine does his whole like, hey, you know, you know. You know, it's so, so like you know, I feel the same pain too, and like that, which it gives like a, helpful. You know, I'm sorry. No, if 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 my living lover, wife, partner, whatever it might be, dies, and some man who was interested in her said, "Yeah, I'm just in as much pain as you." That's not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, mate. <laughs> yeah, you, to me, you'd be the last person you want to see. That's great. So you you. You're all like fantasizing about her and remembering her too. Brilliant, thanks. Which at this point, as an audience, isn't isn't being fucking earned. <laughs> no, because, you know, I know. Sorry. I know. So, 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 so the previous films. You, you well, I, th- I think when I was kind to it last week, it's just I, I think it's almost in a it's a projection of where the series would have gone if it had stayed cohesive. In that, mm. like, I'm sure a Brian Singer entry would have been built on it a little bit more over time. How many entries that would have been, I don't know. But yeah, you're right. They they have a little bit of an attraction and chemistry. That's really all. It, it's a bit like if you were happily married, would never consider cheating in your life, but you have a bit of playful banter with a woman somewhere. That it was like very little more than that. Um, yeah, because because uh, at no point did I honestly think in any of the films that Jean was was so tempted by him no I think she kind of and I mean this in no disrespectful way to the character but I think there was a bit of a that kind of liked the attention but not in a prick teasing way just just in a oh, this is easy this is like it, it's just it's just like it's just like meeting someone you... it's a fun little way to spend the time yeah but but Sorry, I'm, t- I'm spoken for. <laughs> Nothing's going to change that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. But there you go. So, and, and we start to get the real beginnings of the um, problems with continuity in this series now. Obviously, Hank McCoy is somebody different than we saw briefly on a TV set in an earlier mm. film. But it will come up with Bolivar Trask in a bit as well. Bolivar Trask is a sort of aging black guy in this film, and he's uh, Peter Dinklage later on. <laughs> so there you go. Um, Different timeline, you could say, but mm. yeah. So um, we have like Rogue can't touch Scott. Scott sort of freezes his lips and tries to kiss her, but it, it, it's not safe. Basically, um, mean Bobby. What did I say? Scott. Oh, Bobby, yeah. Bobby, yeah, this man. And Scott ends up sort of disappearing to go, presumably, to Alkali Lake. 
And, well, we say presumably, we know that, but it's presumably at this point because we don't actually know where he's heading. Um, and then we cut to Kelsey Grammer. And I really love his makeup just because it still looks like Kelsey Grammer. He's man- he, he's able to act through the the makeup reasonably well. Yeah. And I like Kelsey Grammer anyway. Yeah, he's, that's why he's still uh, good. That's why he's so good because he, you know, he's someone like Vinnie Jones. He doesn't disappear into his juggernaut outfit, whereas Kelsey Grammer does. He is, you know, he's he I mean, becomes you, beast. You could. You he's could, not Fraser. He's not Sergio like, Bob. You've got him and Patrick Stewart in the same cast, and they've both got like fantastic voices. Yeah. I mean, throw in throw in Roger. Great, all three of them. Throw in Roger Moore, and I'd be a fucking tripod. <laughs> We'd be there. I'll <laughs> be suave, you know, stylish, smooth voices. Can you cram into one film? We've got Ian McKellen, Kelsey Grammer, Patrick yeah. Stewart. Yeah. You know, they could read the phone book between them and we'd be all enthralled. I'd be hard, let's be honest. <laughs> um, so, uh, what are we talking about? He's like on the, he's in the cabinet. The the presidential cabinet that is not like... Not actually in a cabinet. Not in a cabinet. How did I get into this cabinet? This is... And, uh, <laughs> this is this is crazy. Nutshell, this is silly. <laughs> yeah, it just reminds anyway. me of the Tom Cruise episode of South Park. But there you go. Um, <laughs> running away from his gay thoughts. That's funny. So they've ca- they've they're trying to track Magneto, but they've captured Mystique, and we see it. They've got a live link to her being interrogated. Now, could it signpost mm. any clearer? Something's about to go wrong. They're not just going to sit there and watch some like procedural questions and go oh, very interesting, <laughs> are they? So yeah, look, look, yeah. You've, got, you've got like asking the questions as well. It's that bloke from Silence of the Lambs. Um, oh, what's his name? He, he doesn't ask her about any uh, farmyard meats, to be honest. Lambs, <laughs> pork, nothing. Doesn't even ask pork. I'm uh, to look him up. <laughs> if, if you want sort of like a creepy interrogator. He's he's a little bit pervy with yeah. it then. Well, she's get just this, this she's just winding him up, winding him up until like he, he leaves himself open and she basically headbutts him and then she does get subdued. But even so, it just shows you she's still mm. dangerous. Dangerous. I like I like I prefer this take on Mystique. And that that isn't just about how attractive her and Jennifer Lawrence are or aren't relative to each other. This 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 version's got a menace that the other version never had. And was never really designed yeah, to it's, have either. It, it, it's menace and also is just also like um, she, she's actually dangerous. She's actually really competent, you know, of getting in and out of places and, and fighting and things like that. She's very calm through it all, and but there's a slight playfulness to her as well. But it's quite a malevolent mm. playfulness. So uh, yeah, I, I just kind of like this take. Um, and yeah, they're, so they're just talking about. Magneto and, and all the rest of it and Beast is then shown um, what she was trying to do when she was captured and it was about stealing a uh, cure mm. and it's been synthesised from a young uh, creature well not a young boy known as Leech if you look up the character of Leech from the comic books it's very very different uh, much more animalistic but it, it, he's basically... Bo- he looks like a cancer victim or something, doesn't he? When we see this boy. He looks like a cancer yeah, well, patient. Because well, he's bald. Because he's bald, yeah. And very pale and stuff like that. 
but they think they are able to suppress the the gene the gene that called that is the mutant gene and they are desperate to have Pete Beast involved because they said, look, we, we need you if we're going to sort of sell this cure. Um, and then I think we cut to Xavier giving, uh, you know, one of his lectures to the students. And they're talking about, again, it annoys me when films do this because when, when a film does it right, you get something like Back to the Future, which is all set up and pay off. But here I can see it every time. The problem is, just to go take, take a step back, I knew from the trailers Xavier was going to die because you have them all looking sad and his wheelchair empty. It's in the trailer. It, it's just a really bad decision. And he's looking at a, a, a supposedly brain-dead patient of Mordor McTaggart, who we'll see with Rose Byrne later in the series. It's Olivia Williams from The Sixth Sense here. And he's saying, what about if we could transfer a human consciousness into this body? And I know he's about to die. So the post-credit sequence is no surprise to me at all. No, there's a scene he kind of he sort of looks at the camera and smiles a little bit kind of later on during that big battle. Yeah. And then obviously yeah we see the scene at the end where he goes like hello Moira and it's just like what? Not a surprise, but still I think it's just it's a nod you know for the fans. So. Yeah. So Storm is out on the terrace, really troubled. Hence the weather goes all yeah. dark. It's like she's done it plus, on purpose. Plus, plus also, like, you know, he also mentions to, to Storm, oh, you know, about replacement. Yeah. Which instantly makes you think, all oh, right, so. <laughs> okay, so you've got about two scenes left. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, so at some point in this film, you're, you're going to buy it. Okay, right. Yeah. So they're just talking about the situation and that the president's, like, pretty kind to us, but. You know, we shouldn't be in hiding, but we're just staying wary and all that kind of thing. And then, yeah, do you want to sort of run this place one day? And they talk about um, uh, what, what do they do then? Oh, it, oh, I think Beast comes to visit them. And this is just yeah. to tell them about the cure and to patronise Wolverine, which is funny because we find out in a couple of film, films time, Wolverine's about 170 years old and he's calling him boy. But there you go. So, the, in the running time, this is where the film's trying to do good work, but it's a really short running time, and they'll stand around having a bit of moral hand wringing about the rights and wrongs of this cure, and it's almost like this film doesn't really have time. Mm. Um, it rushes through it all. Yeah, well, because um, uh, the moment he's told about it, we're straight to mm. Alcatraz, where Warren Worthington, who we saw in the opening scenes of the film, uh, the father of Angel, is telling them about it and he says oh no they're people and it's you know it's a choice but it is a disease and we can uh we can cure it now mm. uh rogue immediately responds in a way that you go right well she's taking it isn't she um and i think that's the biggest problem with this yeah. film. It's predictable at every turn and you have like you know storm who is adamant like against it like saying no there's nothing wrong with us um which is and showing some kind Beast, of leadership. Beast is a bit more. Beast is a bit more sympathetic. Well, uh, he's, he he makes a like, he makes a gag about shedding on the sofa. What he's saying is that his mutation is not invisible. Some of theirs is. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, but it, it, it also depends because each mutation <coughs> each mutation is different. I mean, if you have got something like say Wolverines, yeah. you won't be that bothered about it because, like, in, in many ways, it's all oh, that that's actually kind of useful. 
But in but if you like someone like Rogue, you can't touch you anybody. Can't touch you. Yeah. Or or, or, you, or you got something that's just a bit shit and it's a bit like oh you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, Do you know what I mean? You think I'd, yeah. I'd rather just not have it? <laughs> what my anus grows mushrooms, that sort of thing. Yeah, <laughs> very, yeah. very useful. Pardon? Yeah. Can you imagine that in like a battle scene at the end? <laughs> just drop your trousers and throw some mushrooms. Use your mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then we cut to the sort of brotherhood side of side of things, and it's like a group of mutants having a meeting to discuss this. And we see a we see another boy. We see the the fat guy who can become thin. Yeah, um, quite a lot of interesting powers here, don't we? But why, if he can be either? All right, I, I'm not looking to fat shame. <laughs> Put it this way: I've spent most of my life overweight, but like, if so, if someone could, if I could choose a form, it probably wouldn't be that. But it's just that I don't know what you. Well, 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 well. To be honest, you, you choose like whichever one was preferable at the time, wouldn't you? Yeah, so okay. if you if you were like bigger and taller, you'd if like and you're at a gig, you'd be like, all right, I'll be big and tall. Yeah, but if I want to like sort of slim down and look great, then yeah, <laughs> I suppose. I suppose if you're on a bus and you don't want someone to sit next to you, it would help to be a few pounds heavier, wouldn't it? Spill over the yeah. next seat. All right, fair enough. So this is this is effectively the Brotherhood sort of recruiting, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so Magneto's there at the back, and um, he makes a point of like. Of like, well, it's well, it's oh, they don't they 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 say that it's like voluntary, you know, you know, but but really, yeah, you know, that they 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 never say they're going to exterminate you, they just do it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. So he picks up um, Callisto there. That's the one who can move really fast, and she knows what mutants are around her. She's really yeah. cool. And um, and you got Spiky Boy. Spiky cool. Boy, poisonous spikes. Um, I mean, are they? Are they? Are they? I mean, like that's fair. That is a bit of a shit power as well, isn't it? It's like that's great. Yeah, I just poisonous spines. I, I, can... I, I, I can kill you when I hug you. Yeah. <laughs> I choose to hug you. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't hug anybody. It must be really horrible. Like you can't come close to anybody. Well, no, you probably but, like, can, but you can. But if you choose one to, you just like them. Just choose people that you don't like. But what you don't want to <laughs> yeah. do, do is lose control when you're like excited. No, this is it. He <laughs> goes, oh, bloody hell, sorry. And suddenly you, you unleash a completely different kind of prick. I did it again. Oh. <laughs> All right, let's, get, let's move on from this. So he picks up a couple of people and they basically catch up with the armoured cop. So she can sense where mutants are, this Callisto. So yeah. she can locate. Instantly straight to like Mystique, who's like basically yeah. travelled by. How we've made that, I don't know, because... She's in a room and she says, I can sense all the mutants in here. So that implies around you. It doesn't apply there's one four states away. I don't know. But anyway. Yeah, she hasn't got Cerebro. I know. That's <laughs> no. Like... She is Cerebro. Yeah. Okay, so there's a police convoy carrying some mutants, including Mystique, who's again sort of shit-talking the guards and pretending to be a scared little girl and then, you know, oh. and so on. And... Um, you got the the guards don't help themselves in these kind of films because they always either beat them up or spray them with something or whatever. She promises to kill them, and then what? Uh, don't we go somewhere after this? Do, we don't see the breakout immediately, do we? 
No. I think the next scene is Beast going to Alcatraz and we see Leech, and this was in the trailer as well. He, yeah. he reaches his hand out and it goes to Percy Grammar's Norman. And he's yeah. just like, he plays that scene really well because he, he, you can see he doesn't know what to make of this. Um, it's also like a little bit like, oh, that's my human hand yeah. kind of thing. It's like, I've not seen that in, or well, we don't know, do we? But, I think, you know, well, well, we'll get hints of it in First Class, which is a very different take on Beast, but it is something that sort of comes on with, I think, puberty or something. Um, you know, because it was Nicholas Holt. It was a few years after that, but yeah. Okay. So, Leech's power is basically he will take away your mutation when you're close to him. And they've used his sort of blood and DNA to synthesize mm-hmm. this cure. And then we go to the end for Scott Summers, which is further into the film than I thought it was. Um, yeah, this was... I This was... I think, every, I think what I would say is nearly every poor review of this film picks this up as almost Exhibit A. That they really, really, even more than singer shout on Cyclops here. Um, um, but then he was in Superman Returns, so I don't know if this was almost like a cameo for him. It, 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 it yeah. I mean, a lot of it was um, conflict scheduling. So like um, Mystique, um, Rebecca Romain, she only had like a limited time, so that's why she doesn't. She isn't in the film. Austin like, had a photo shoot, did he? She had to go and do. <laughs> yeah, yeah good, yes. maybe. <laughs> and on Yeah, okay. So, um, the scene's quite nicely done in its way. The, the, the area's got something about it, hasn't it? Mm. Floating rocks and all the rest of it. But it turns out, um, yeah, he, 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 he's hearing her voice. And then she kind of appears to him uh, from a world. It's a kind of done in quite a mystical way, isn't it? I mean, it's the same with James Marsden because he he was also in the Superman film, wasn't he? Um, yeah. The other Superman movie. Um, so he's kind of because I think in the comics he plays like a sort of a main, he's, he's a bigger role in the comics as I understand it. But like in, in this film, um, Cyclops is only in it for like I don't know five minutes or something like that. That's probably his total screen time. It's yeah, probably he's, less he's, than that. It's probably hardly, yeah, it's, it's probably it's... less than a minute with Wolverine at the start of the film. Yeah, and that's it. And that's it's, pro- it's probably under two minutes here. Probably. That's your lot for Scott. Um, but yeah, she starts kissing him, and it's it's almost a bit like rogue, isn't it? You know, so he's he's almost like being killed by this. And then it cuts away from that. He's in agony, and you see her eyes sort of flash, and her skin go kind of veiny and odd. Uh, it's almost like a little she, bit of light. She goes it. dark. Yeah. She doesn't go phoenixy though. But anyway. Yeah, it doesn't go quite that bad. So yeah, Scott is killed. We don't find that till later on when um, sort of Wolverine goes there and stuff. Big losses in this film. <clears throat> yeah. Um, Spoiler alert. Yeah, so Xavier Xavier feels this happen and tells Storm and Wolverine to go to Alkali Lake immediately. And that's where they find like rocks and stuff levitating. And they see um, Cyclops glasses just floating. Um, Jean is there, but she's unconscious. So we don't know what's happened, but Scott has presumably been killed. Like, Why well, to Scott, but it's never officially answered. And we're just like, yeah, he's dead, isn't he? <laughs> uh, he was in the shower. Um yeah, so <laughs> I saw um, yes. oh, 
What was it I was reviewing the other day? Dream, I, was like I, I, had a, I had a really awful dream where, where I lost control of my powers and I was like a, a great, great five and I just couldn't control myself and everything got destroyed. Uh, that made me laugh when they did that in Dallas because they, 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 they had like new people come into the cast for the whole previous year mm. and stuff like that. Oh, it was Fast 9 I said that about. I said we are one step away from Bobby Ewing was in the shower all along. Because like his brother who's yeah. never been mentioned turns up and like Han is alive and that that's um that that, that that's a like, that's a, a meme I saw today I think uh, yeah. or, or on Facebook somewhere and it's like uh no, like fast franchise there's nothing more important than family and Phil nine oh by the way I've got a brother we <laughs> 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 used to get that in Neighbours as well like. You'd either get somebody die, and then they want to come back, and the only thing they can think to do is a twin or something, or amnesia. Uh, yeah. The other thing, the other thing you used to get in Neighbours, I remember, is someone would like a new member of the cast would knock on one of their doors and say, "Hi, I'm Marco," or whatever, and they'd go, "Come on in," and that's it. Could be fucking anybody. No, it's it, it's it's when like say like one of like the you know the the, the you know the Kennedys like the sort of like the sunlight leaves. And you never see or hear from them again, even though like the parents are still there. Yeah, yeah. You think, uh, yeah. you you think your son never fucking visits you. <laughs> I know. And then they have weddings, and even NYPD mm. Blue had that. It's like, oh, he can't make it back for the wedding. Why the actor fucked off and had a row with them last year? You know. There you go. Um, so I'm presuming from there we go back to the um, prison convoy, uh, which is you know, a decent sequence, really. Um, you know, because I always I always appreciate a little. Uh, a little bit of Magneto just mm. ripping loose. Well, we're into two or three different things here. Xavier has to tell everybody what happened with Jean. She was the only Class mm-hmm. 5 at Mutant. That doesn't mean a fucking thing. Um, although Callisto said... To just Xavier, means more powers. There's not one in this room over a three. Yeah, but is it like grading? Is it like, you know, when you do martial arts or something? Do you have to do a grading? Like, I don't know. But, um... She, he it's, said she, it's how it measures on the Richter scale. She had a what? Oh no, that's Rickman, isn't it? Obviously, <laughs> the Alan Richter scale. <laughs> yes. Um, the, this is odd, but he's explaining that she had sort of a dual personality. That the 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 sort of the the other personality we came to know as the Phoenix. It's incredibly powerful. Mm. I put psychic barriers in place and they're clearly breaking down and that's what was happening in the second film. Um, he, he gets a bit defensive over it all. The other thing you've got is um, uh, talk about the cure sort of on the news. Is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? Cures for it. You've got Ben Foster being brought in as a, now a, a sort of adult angel wanting he wants to give him the cure to give him a better life which again in the hands of a better filmmaker would be terrific because it does bring up those sort of there are moral dilemmas in this because he's not evil he just wants the best for his son but then of course when he flies away kind of his wings are kind of beautiful so Mm -hmm. is there beauty in being a mutant so you can see what they're going for and I mean, it doesn't quite work when you think about it because it's like right well well we get no time with it that's why we get yeah, no time you, with you, it. You, you're son of a millionaire, and what your 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 mutant power is, you have wings. Well, I think when like we're heading into more acceptable society towards mutants, do you, do you know what I mean? Like you know, you sort of like sort of feel like 
But, I mean, I get, you know... It's just rushed, because, all right, yeah, he was... The problem is, you went... You went ten years ahead from the young Jean Grey, and that's now at least ten years ago, depending on how you read that. So ten years ago, he was upset. Presumably those wings had only just come along, maybe a puberty thing, because I'd say the kid Mm. was probably about 13. But we don't know what's happened in the years in between. A lot of people are awkward when they're 13, but not awkward when they're 23. The attitude towards mutants is different, just as the attitude towards gay people is different now than it was 30 or 40 years ago. So it isn't sold. It's brought in, he's happy to have it done, and then he he panics and doesn't want it done and flies off. And it's like, you've wasted a good idea there. And it's not the last time they're going to waste this character because we do see him later in Apocalypse, I think. And he's he's even more wasted there because he gets less screen time for less... He gets more screen time for less effect. Ah, yes, but his wings are metal. Brilliant. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, the the breakout now, uh, Magneto just uses his powers to basically break the vehicles and flip them and everything else and crush Mm. things and break into the cab and you've got in there sort of the multiple man who can rob seven banks not at the same. Johnny Knoxville not Johnny Knoxville Looks he does look like a little him. bit like Knoxville a little bit the hair's very similar budget Johnny Knoxville budget Johnny Knoxville yeah most expensive film ever made budget Johnny Knoxville budget um, <laughs> and you've got Mystique in there budget Johnny Knoxville and you've got um, the juggernaut who we're told straight away because they're literally reading the patient notes and it's like once he picks up momentum you can't stop what's well, the guest list yeah literally it's like once it, he pops he can't stop very very lazy I mean you could take one look at him it, it, he looks a bit like Ram Man from He-Man um, he, he is essentially Ram Man isn't he there's a new series coming on Netflix. Yeah, I know. I've seen the trailer for it. Can't wait. Can't wait. It um, looks amazing. We'll, we'll see what it comes out like because objectively as an adult, I don't imagine I really enjoy the original He-Man now, but I loved it as, I loved it as a kid. Um, Sorry. Yeah, it's done, but Kevin Smith's been the sort of showrunner on it. Yeah. Um, so hopefully it should be good. Fingers crossed. Well, yeah. We'll see. Um, anyway, sorry. <laughs> so, uh, one of the guards uh, happens to have the cure on him. Uh, which is basically in a sort of plastic gun with darts in it. Handy, it's plastic. Yeah. Uh, he steps to... Um, he, he goes to fire at Magneto, Mystique spots it and jumps in front of him and immediately starts to convulse and her body just loses the mutation and she just becomes Rebecca Romaine but with dark hair. And Magneto yeah. immediately says, you're no longer it's one of us. quite a lot like Charlie Theron. With dark hair as well. Definitely, I'm yeah. A- Aeon Flux kind of era, yeah. Um, he says, yeah, she used to be so beautiful. There's something about this. I know he doesn't like humans, but again, all adds to how rushed is this. He he just absolutely destroyed a convoy to get to her. And the moment this happens, he's like, bye then. Yeah, uh we know why because he's got no time for humans Mm. but it doesn't play right to me yeah you'd like a bit more time in the scene to kind of like get a a little bit of mourning and then like have the impact of the coldness of like 
sorry, you're not one of us. Kind of thing. Even just a moment for him to get himself together with after the shock would be something, but he's immediately like, mm. oh well. Yeah, okay. Um, again, in a better film, a lot of the president talking about the concern that the this cure is going to just make things even worse but, you know, for mutant-human relations would be great, but it's not. And then what? Wolverine's watching Jean and she wakes up. This is creepy. He just stamps watching her while she sleeps and not wearing a huge amount. <laughs> to be fair, the, the scene did great with me a little bit. I kind of, I was through it. I was like, this is a bit creepy, so I just fast-forwarded it. Well, she it made me super uncomfortable. She immediately comes onto him and it's like, is that the phoenix? Is that Jean? Is the phoenix a sexual being? Because we never see that again. In fact, later in the film, it's the Jean version of the character that responds to him, not the other one. So I'm well confused. Um, she starts slashing his skin, which obviously heals immediately. And then, like, the phoenix is basically trying to... So is is it just emotions, the phoenix? We don't really know. So Wolverine then sort of says, we're Cyclops. And then Jean comes round and looks a bit confused. And then... She goes crazy, eight bonkers with her drill in sex, and basically wrecks the lab. Yeah. Sorry, that's a young one's uh-huh. reference, folks. Bambi and then too. And goes off. Yeah, and that's it. And it's just like, well, that was a nothing scene as well. Um, she does say something about asking him to kill her, and then, well, it's like, well, no, that's that, gonna. Does that in the last scene? No, it's um, it, it, she mentions it here. But then the Phoenix sort of takes control again. It's a Gollum Smeagol thing, really. But it's just, it's signposted again. It's like, okay, so he kills her at the end of the film. Right, fair enough. It, it is like the man with the golden gun times about eight. Because there's about eight. You know, in the man with the golden gun, you see like the waxwork Roger Moore at the start. And you go, well, he's just going to stand in for that then, isn't he? Um, <laughs> which means the last scene of the film is on this island. Fair enough. As long as I know what's going to happen all the way through. And I, I picked that up at eight. Honestly, at eight years old, I watched it and went, well, isn't... Well, Roger can just... You know, James Bond can just stand there, can't he? Um, this film does it about eight times. This tells us that Wolverine is going to kill her at the end of the film. But anyway. So she destroys the lab. Um, and then what? She kind of blocks... She leaves and she blocks out Charles. Mm-mm. And then I think they go to the... They go to her old house, and I'm not really sure why. Did they think she'd go there? I mean, she is there, but I don't know what made the think. If I went missing, you. If I went missing, you. You don't need to head to where I lived when I was seven. I don't think that would be where I'd go. I don't know. I think reasons, like some sort of like emotional kind of like. Oh, oh reasons. Sorry, Chris. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Reasons. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Let's sort that out. <laughs> Yes, so... So So she levitates all the furniture... Let's get through this. She levitates all the furniture and explodes Charles. Not in the fun, let's get excited way. (laughs) Exploding, Um, eh? Yeah. It explodes with delight. Yeah, she's lifting the house and everything. So they they try to stop it all, but... That's it, really. Yeah, it's kind of a bit of a recap of the uh, the opening scene where, but obviously things escalate more. Um, so yeah, Magneto leaves with um, 
Jean or Phoenix. Yeah, because she could be useful if he needs someone to stand around later. Yes. I mean, honestly... He's looking to use her as a weapon, essentially. I mean, it's called The Last Stand. It isn't called Dark Phoenix, but it could have been, because it's that storyline, or it's their attempt, their version. I was thinking, when we come to Dark Phoenix, I I don't... Yeah, I don't think I saw it, unfortunately, um, when it came out. Um, And then I kind of... I was sort of reading all the the blurb and everything, and kind of thought, have we not already seen this film? I think the point I'm about to make is the Dark Dark Phoenix is at least somewhat about Dark Phoenix, right? Whereas, I mean, there's a lot wrong with that film. It got delayed many times, and I went in, I probably slightly overrated it on the basis that I went in with such low expectations, and it, it wasn't anywhere near as bad as I was fearing. This is called The Last Stand, so you could at least argue it, it, it's not signposting that it's just about Gene. But they've hyped, they, they were building to this storyline in the last film. They then let it out in this film very early. She's the central sort of one of the two central plots of the film and they do very very little with her and it does remind me of Olivia Munn in Apocalypse they just have her standing around looking a sort of vaguely cool we get like a funeral or a memorial service the headstone's already been done obviously because that's how funerals work and um, I really don't like funeral scenes in films I don't know about you guys but I just find them really like melodramatic they're, they're like I some, think it's, it's, quite, it's quite sad. It's like um, something out of daytime. Especially you've got sort of major characters as well, like you have here, so it's always a bit like, ooh. So. Uh, I'm not a big fan of them, but they're dead. And we're, within moments, we're going to be in the sort of final act of the film, really. Is yeah, it because I mean, it's, it's so cliche at this point? Right? I think funerals in films are cliched anyway. It's like, well, you've had three foot, two and a half films, if you like, to develop this character. We know him. We also, most of us, carry a little bit of baggage for him anyway because we've known him from Star Trek and other things. So whatever feelings we have about what's just happened, we have. And I just think a funerals at this point, done this way in these types of films, is a way to sort of signpost to the audience, this is how you're supposed to feel and this is how we feel. And it's like, well, we know all that. You're just, you're just layering on melodrama. Is it's, it, it's like when... Is uh, it like... Is it, is, is it excuse for Halle Bailey to get in front and cite the uh, the, the Federation code? The oath. Yeah, uh, that's it. Yes, the, the oath. oath. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, you, you, these memorials are normally cheesy. Uh, Any time they give speeches in these kind of films, there are normally a whole lot of nothing. I mean, even in Rocky Four, Apollo dies, and then we got to watch his funeral and Rocky give a speech, and I just find it pure cheese. I've never really liked it. But anyway, the point is we are pretty much getting to the final act of the film almost straight away. I mean, we we have a little interlude where we see... Um, well, we, we see Moira McTaggart here as well. But again, a bit of a waste of Olivia Williams, although she is uncredited. We've also got this um, ice skating scene. Is this the scene you were referring to? Yeah, so obviously everyone's upset at... Um... Uh, Xavier Heights, of course. Yeah. Um, and Bobby thinks I can get me some. Well, that's just the thing. Like you know, on on paper you kind of read it as like yeah, fair enough. Like you know, I'm sure everyone's like sort of pally. You know, it's like obviously he's in a relationship with Rogue, and you know you're gonna be friends. And you see your friend upset, you want to do something to cheer him up. But there's just like you don't fucking take a, take it ice skating 
and you don't do, do you know what I mean that the, there's kind of like there's different ways you can show support <laughs> you yeah. know there's just it's just like no no actually well, well I watched the deleted stuff so after watching this so but it kind of like filled me in on a few things where they did actually like you know kiss after that that that's a wide that that's a very wise cut because rogue's already conflicted it's just it, it's just a, it's not a really dumb film like that second Jurassic World film or Batman and Robin or any countless others we've talked about. It's not super dumb, but its IQ points are definitely like a few points lower in that it's having to signpost everything to us. And if you've got half a brain, you look at it and go, I know what you're signposting here. Had they put that kiss scene in, it's like I would have known without even seeing that Rogue saw it because we're trying to prompt rogue to go and get the cure but rogue is also she's already conflicted we know rogue wants the cure it kind of like it kind of makes bad on rogue though because at the end if she, when she goes back and she's there for him you know oh i'm cured it it, it it kind of like it kind of goes back on like what what this kind of said it's like don't, don't do it for some boy. But it's also it. inadvertently incredibly but, but sexist. But she is actually doing it for, then she she's is. Actually doing it for the boy then. Because do you know what I mean? she's... the thing is, we've established she want. I mean, in the first film, she wanted to be physical with a boy. <laughs> only kissing, but she wanted a physical contact with a boy. In the second film, she kind of wanted Bobby. And in this film, she still wants Bobby. And then the film says, here's this cure. And we see her look at it and go, I could live normally there. Now, if she'd gone and done it then put in its bassist way and I don't mean this as bass as it's going to sound she wants sex, she wants physical intimacy so she goes to get the cure doing it this way she's being driven because he wants sex and I just think mm. that's like really fucking dumb and only someone as, as brain dead as Brett Ratner or tone deaf more than brain dead as Brett, Brett Ratner wouldn't pick that up and just go I don't think yeah. it's a, I don't think it's a strong and intentional message the film is making, but again, it's just the sensibility of a filmmaker is like, well, he, he wants to bang. What's wrong with that? Well, there's nothing wrong yeah. with that, but it, she shouldn't be rearranging her life to facilitate it. Because it's, it's in the very next scene, you have her leaving, yeah. and um, and she has the, the bit with Wolverine, where Wolverine basically sort of tells her straight, and he's like, look. Don't do it for just because it's some boy. Do it because you want it. In other words, it's you know, it's like do it because you you want you want to be able to like you know touch people and well, and, and and have but normal. But she's already on her way out the door. Work. It's too late. E, she's e, already even doing if it. it doesn't work out. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but at, at least that. At least that interaction is there, and he says the right thing to her. It's not. It's like... not quite as bad as we're making it sound. Because if you just let the film wash over you, it may not occur. You, you may just think, well, like Bobby's frustrated, she's frustrated. It's a horrible situation. He's actually only being nice to that girl. He's not kissed her in the final cut of the film or anything. Um, so what? It, but if you sit and think about it for yeah. a minute, it's it's just. It's just it's like yeah. If if you if if you try and put yourself play yourself in Bobby's shoes, you wouldn't be doing that. No, you wouldn't because you, a, a you know you wouldn't be doing that in any normal relationship anyway. And B, given the relationship with Rogue, you'd probably be a bit more considerate. 
as in like sort of going you've chosen to be in a relationship with someone who can't touch you you are aware that this is a problem you can't suddenly go no well i I can't i'm not getting any it's like well that was kind of the deal sadly um (laughs) i I mean the only thing they could have done worse is have bobby try to convince her to get it the the vaccine not her him um Mm. so i don't know it's just it's just a thing where you think you've, you've got a bit of a tone-deaf director here anyway. He probably didn't write this, but he's certainly not, like... He's not switched on about, like, relationships enough to pick that up. And I just think, like, again, it's it's just a bit rushed. If it, With a few more scenes for it to breathe. Because, again, she's disappearing the very scene after she's seen this. I think if it had been three scenes later, you might just buy, well, she's had a few days to think about it, reflect on it and stuff. Where she's immediately seen her guy with someone else and gone, right, I'm getting the cure. And it's just, mm-hmm. like, rushed. Uh, but we are getting to the final sort of act now, really. Um, Magneto's sort of put together yeah, an we army have, like, in the woods. Yeah, you know, Magneto's... Yeah, we have, like, uh, Bobby goes to look for her. And then he meets uh, uh, Fireboy, Pyro. Um, yeah. He kind of does, like, a attack on the, the vaccine centre, which is part of Magneto's plan to sort of start attacking yeah um that's what it is i mean the the boy who's is the cure mm. is at, um alcatraz now alcatraz is on like an island in the bay of san francisco basically so um that's going to be the end sort of point of this film he's going to go and try and get that boy and you know kill him so that they can't synthesize any cure and destroy what cure has been made mm. that's the point and uh, meanwhile gene is going to sort of offer them protection by standing there with virtually limitless power, but most of the time she does just stand there. <clears throat> there are a couple of points, like she disintegrates a load of like soldiers at one point, but that's about it. And it just becomes like a big mutant fight, doesn't it? Mm. <clears throat> you get the bit with you know the the good guys sort of camping out with them and Mystique coming onto Wolverine as anything from himself herself to Jean to yeah. him to whatever, and. Yeah, because Mystique um, kind of rats him out after betraying him. Hell off, no for you, like, uh, score. So the, it, it, it goes straight to that, into, like, the attack. Because you have, you know, multiple man kind of set up as a decoy. And then, there you are. You go straight into the, the, the final battle scene. And, um, yeah, so there's not really much we want to say about this, really. Um, it's just mutants fighting mutants. Um, no, the, yeah, I don't really want to say ending. too much about it at all. I think it really, I mean, he's lifting the Golden Great Bridge. That's one thing. Um, and then the rest of it is like, I mean, if Iceman was going to fight another mutant, which would it be? Pyra, obviously. Well, they were shit talking each other in the last film, but it's just obvious, fire and ice. And um, I showed this to someone for the first time, and they actually just went a bit cliche, didn't it? And they're not even. British. I mean, I didn't even know they knew the word cliched. <laughs> it's like they are just aware of film cliche so intently. Um, I don't want to say much about this, really. They're trying to protect the boy, so um, Kitty Pride, who can walk through walls, is trying to protect him from the Juggernaut, who they eventually sort of knock out. You get the I'm the Juggernaut bitch line, which is awful. It's like the worst makes... slash funniest line in the film. Don't you know who I am? I'm Juggernaut, bitch. Um... There. You got Magneto who ends up getting the the, the cure, so to speak, which again is perfect for his arc. 
it's like ah oh, yeah that's, yeah, he's, uh, that, he, that's really sad. he's distracted while I think Beast leaps in and sort of mm. puts it puts the puts yeah. stabs him Magneto in the chest charges with... in and he's like you never learn <laughs> yeah Wolverine goes over and Wolverine knows that obviously this guy can move metal so he's just going to like toy with you for a minute and while he's distracted mm. Beast just gallops in and stabs him with the cure yeah so he now has no powers for the time being at least anyway um and then what oh you've just got Jean she's basically fighting off everyone single handed and Wolverine mm. realises with his healing power he's the only one who's going to get close to her oh uh, Angel saves his dad that, that, that's, that's the other thing that just randomly comes straight out of nowhere randomly comes out of nowhere again in a better film it would work because his dad's not a bad man and the film sort of needs to tell you that the fact that the the father was trying to, in an X2 quality film, it would comp- you, it would be very understandable that there are shades of grey in all of this and nuance. And the fact he wanted his son to take a cure, he genuinely thought it was for his son's benefit. It, it, he's been conditioned to think of it as a disease. Well, it is an affliction. Sometimes mm. it's a good affliction, sometimes it's a bad one. Um, so the idea that he saves his dad is good. But again, it's random. We only see this guy two or three times and Angel's wasted in the film anyway. Um, it's meant to be like the flip side of Rogue. Rogue wants it, this kid. Rogue grows up okay, and as she gets older, she realises this is a curse on her. Angel is kind of the opposite. He believes it's a curse and grows to sort of accept it. And probably feels quite free-flying and stuff like that. But yeah, it effectively, you've got... Um, Wolverine can get closer to her. I mean, he's being stripped down to adamantium over and over again and re you know, regenerating. And he's she becomes herself for a minute and says, Save me and he says, I love you and stabs her. And it's like I love you. Do you know I've never been I haven't been that jarred. There's been twice in the Bond series when that happened. One was Spectre when they say they love each other and it's like, hang on a minute, I thought you were just fucking and then um, it, it, and, and the end of Tomorrow Never Dies because Wei Lin and Bond had zero chemistry when he kisses her at the end I'm like whoa hang on <laughs> even though every Bond film felt finished like that in that era I'm still genuinely like whoa hang on what are you doing <laughs> yeah yeah there's something about that that just doesn't strike you know couple is there it's just like no it's kind of you just like a uh, you know platonic you know ally <laughs> kind of thing yeah, and it's the same in this. I love you. Well, I thought you would just kind of, I thought you could just kind of bit of chemist felt a bit of chemistry with her. I mean, that was there. We can't, can't it, deny it, it, that. It's just a bit of workplace flirting, really. That's but exactly. I mean, <laughs> you get chemistry with all sorts of people in your life, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that. It it mm. really doesn't. Do you know what I mean? It just means like, oh, I really like seeing them around, and like, yeah, we we have a playfulness. But yeah, whatever. Yeah, it'd be almost like Bond just coming out and telling him like Money Penny, I love you. It was like, whoa, hang on. Hang on a minute, I was only giving you ha- I was only handing you plane tickets, <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wish that hat well, sta- yeah. stand was I wish that hat stand was you and this hat was my cock. Or or something. Yes. <laughs> So, um, and there is, so without wrapping things up, now we have another two funerals. Yeah. You know, Gene and Scott. Yeah. Uh, the school opens up. Um, uh, Being run by uh, Storm. Cut. Yeah. 
uh, uh, Hank is now like uh, he's is he he's now a ambassador. What you call it? He's, um, ambassador. To ambassador. The yeah, that, that's what. Um, for for men and music kind of like. Yeah, Leech is a student at the school. I don't know if anyone's brave enough to sit next to him. Uh, <laughs> well, it means to just lose the powers for a bit. Well, like. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I guess. Um, angels sort of flying over the Golden Gate Bridge, and they're rebuilding it. And it pans down to a park where you've got Eric just sort of playing chess, and he's just—they're all metal pieces, and mm. one of the pieces wobbles. And I kind of—I I mean, I love the idea of leaving Eric just as like a lonely old man sitting at a chessboard. Yeah. And I kind of—I kind of wish he was just like just see him just trying to move it, and, and it just ends before or just ends like kind of abruptly just kind of before you think you see something it's a bit of a kind of inception kind of, moment I was just thinking of exactly that before, it's, isn't it? it's, 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 yeah. it's, it's like the spinning cop from inception because I, yeah, I think for that I'd, I'd rather leave that as um, as much as a question mark and kind of really unanswered it just says there'll be like, more films I mean, we've like got, leave you anticipating it but well, then after the credits you've got Moira McTaggart in the hospital room and then you get a sudden you hear hello Moira in Charles's voice mm. and she's like Charles and it's like okay so that's the thing that was signposted earlier so we think that he's not officially still alive if you like it's a tease and bear in mind this is pre-Marvel Cinematic Universe so people weren't conditioned to sit all the way through the credits so a high percentage of the audience never saw that yeah this would but, have been like a very new they thing probably, it's back they, prob- it they probably heard about it later um and of course, when we get to Days of Future Past, Magneto having all his powers and him being back is just never explained at all. Which is which is a problem with Days of Future Past, in my opinion, because it just it just it undercuts the stakes. It's like it doesn't matter what happens to these people, then does it really? They'll just come back. Um. Well, yeah, I mean that's kind of what the idea of seeing the the chess piece wobble. It's just like, but you just undone all that's you, you kind of done in this film. Like you know, you've taken away. Yeah, it just kind of makes the rest of the film pointless for me on that because it's just like, well, you just everything doesn't mean anything now because all the interesting questions about the being a cure. Well, if it's not actually a cure, it's just like you know. Well, it's one of two things. From... It's either a temporary cure, it's temporary alleviation, or it massively reduces your powers. So, it's meant to be a happy ending for Rogue, but also reflecting well on the mutant community that she goes back cured and she's well but she's still welcome she's still one of theirs they're not mm. they're not magneto's divisiveness now so is she going to be sleeping with bobby in six months time and he gets rather unwell i mean it's just yeah i, I just think again it's almost Zack snyder thinking it's like wouldn't it be cool if and it's like but you haven't thought about how it affects the rest of your film you know, mm. it, it's thinking about a shot before thinking about the needs of the story. So I've never liked it. And I think I did see it. I, I I have a feeling somebody said to me there was something at the end, which there never normally was. I did see this mm. scene and I never sat through all of the credits. So someone must have told me. Yeah, it's again, it's one of those scenes which just think. Uh, what? <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I, I, 
to Fitz's fans be like, oh, I think, yeah, that's not going to mean anything now, is it? Um, oh, well, it whatever. Does. So that's the end of X-Men, the first uh, last stand. It's, it's also... Um... I mean, it was the end of a trilogy. I mean, the next film is going to be an Origins film. We'll talk about that in a bit. And then we're going to get sort of a reboot. And then we're going to sort of get hybrids with the sort of, you know, some of this cast, some of that cast. Um, This is the end of a story. And it's because they've lost their power. So when they do suddenly come back in 2024 in like with all their powers and everything, it's just it it is odd. And I, I just think the film roundly shits on continuity. And whilst there are always continuity issues in every film series, I just think it just shows a bit of a lack of care here. And when you read these films are stuck out 11 months, 12 months after they're announced, you go, you don't really care, do you? You get filmmakers in who you hope care and writers that you hope care and you want the product to be good. No one makes films deliberately to buff very few people deliberately make films to be shit so i think you want it to be good but you're not willing to put the care in to have like a proper character bible a continuity bible Mm. to give people like two years to make the film instead of under a year or at least 18 months you know quantum of solace had to be delayed because 18 months was ridiculous they wanted to start on it soon after casino royale came out and get it in cinemas 18 months later and they went this is mental and the end result was still rushed and they they were they're doing these in 11 months and occasionally you get a good filmmaker with a good idea and you get like first class but even then the effects are far far weaker than they should be because it was rushed and you think well if you'd given that an extra six months there wouldn't have been any problems with it at all Mm. um the only other problems um about halfway through the film michael fassbender just goes irish (laughs) <laughs> he just, there is, there is a specific point in the film I, oh think, I think I'm right in saying it's the scene where he leaves the mansion or something or the scene where he, he, comes, he has quite an interesting accent but then he's, he's, he's Irish but anyway. then he suddenly forgets the posh English bit and goes just Irish and by the time he's on the beach <laughs> he slips into his natural, natural by point. the time he's on the beach at the end it is totally like unlike my Murphys I'm not bitter it's just like but also it's his bond audition from way back in the the, day the scene in Argentina no you you cannot get a pie of Murphy's over it for love or money really can you not not that I drink it it's all all Guinness 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 if you have a a spare pint of Murphy's write to us at expectustotalk at gmail.com if you're not bitter Uh, I don't don't like those drinks very much anyway but yeah so Okay, I think that's my final thoughts on this film, really. that I watched it yesterday, I think. And I didn't hate it. it. It's When I think what's coming with certainly the next film and the 2016 entry, I just think they are bordering on completely incompetent. This just takes a property that has been brought to the screen in its first two entries with a little bit of love, care and vision and then just takes a script that was probably written with its first draft had kernels of things you could develop into extensions of the same thing. And then they've just rushed it through with a filmmaker who doesn't know the property, isn't that interested in the property, and think all young boys want to do is fuck. And um, so it it's kind of like... It, it's got hints of what made X2 a, a better film. It's got hints of some of the things we'll enjoy when we'll get to first class. But we haven't really talked about it in reality. But there were 
we forgot to mention several weak effects. We mentioned there were weak effects, but then didn't come up with the examples. But there are like several weak effects in this film, so that feels rushed. All the all the scenes with any heart are rushed. You've got Rogue running off to get the cure the moment she sees her guy just talking to another woman while well, dancing with her. To be fair, and I just think like it, it is like Quantum of Solace in that if you gave it another half an hour and a bit more time it could have been a better film and that's all I'm going to say yeah that's pretty much it really I mean I, I think I probably had the better time with this film than either of you guys um, I mean it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot rushed there's a lot of problems with the production um, stories are kind of all over the place but I think it had one of like, the zingiest and sort of fun, certainly funniest scripts anyway um, and I think from here, as, as you know, as we said before, is kind of the start of the, the downward slope for the for the series. Um, but still, you know, there's lots of fun uh, lots of fun points to discuss. Um, Michael Fassbender, for example, we're looking forward to discussing him. Um, also, a few other Bond actors pop up as we go as we go through. Um, yeah, it's just it is a bit of a mess and it's rushed um, and there isn't that kind of plot development there. Um, and I think if you're a sort of hardcore fan of the comic, you might feel hard done by as 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 lead characters are kind of fallen by the wayside, um, killed off in rather dramatic fashion. Uh, fashion. Um, great, you know, really good casting. Quite interesting to see the way it kind of builds up. Um, great big, you know, set pieces definitely. Um, they are a little bit cliched. Some of the effects obviously don't hold up, you know, as, as time goes on. Um, but still, you know, I still had a really good time with it. And yeah, for me, it's kind of you know the most enjoyable in the series um, until we all kind of go a bit downhill from here, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm kind of. Um, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I, I do enjoy this film. Um, so it's not as bad, but then it's not particularly great either. Uh, I think we could all pretty much what, what we really feel about it. It's just basically rushed and and, and tied up at a bow in kind of that'll do kind of manner. Though it it does have some ideas in there that that's worth that you know that. That, are, that have some worth. Um, so yeah, it's you know it's 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 a it's probably yeah, a, one of the weaker ones, but one of the better weaker ones. I I would say. But it's, it's yeah, I think that's a fair, that, a fair assessment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I think I'd go along with that. I I I do wonder if there is like in my my sort of unofficial three categories of X Men film is the, is this a fourth with with Dark Phoenix? It's because as I say, there are two entries in this series from memory that I just thought were a lot, lot worse than this. But I can also understand how anyone going to see this in 2006 would have been really, really disappointed because from what we could tell from the first two entries, and even Superman Returns, like it or hate it, they were made with love and you could feel like the care for what they were doing. And this one just feels like next entry. And thankfully, it was developed enough before he came on board that they carried on some of the ideas, like the idea of a cure and stuff. Mm. But, I mean, it kind of shits on Mystique. It really shits on Scott Summers. Um, I think it, it takes away all Rogue's agency and then finishes with I love you. And it's like, OK, all right. I love Lamp, you know. Um but maybe I'd appreciate it more if I knew more about it, Chris. I don't know about you. I think maybe some like sort of facts would have helped you in. Yeah, but it's not about facts, is it? Because if you race through facts like they race through this film, all right, we get the gist of the knowledge, but how much did we really enjoy it? 
So you say you want some enjoyment involved as well? I think you've got to flesh it out with something enjoyable. I mean, to make it stick. Yeah, like, like fun. Yeah, <laughs> they're both important. Can you Becca? help? Can you help? Becca? Becca can do this. All right, then Becca. <laughs> it's amazing how we forget this is in the format every week. I think you covered it yourself pretty much. Um, that's fun, folks. That's fun, folks. There we are. <laughs> so yes, I think we've covered most of them, unfortunately. Um, but I've got some extra bonus facts thrown in. Um, obviously, as I mentioned at the top of the show, um, with a budget on two hundred ten million pounds, that million dollars even. Um, I think in terms of the X-Men series, it was like one of the most expensive, but obviously then along came Days of Future Past, which smashed it all into smithereens. Um, for fact number two, the last scene was obviously to have Magneto regaining his powers as he fiddled slightly with a chess piece, um, playing against a stranger who would have been um, Charles Xavier, somebody else in you know in a different body. Um, but obviously scheduling conflicts, these two couldn't, they couldn't film these scenes together, so they kind of bookend the end credits this way. Um, obviously, as we mentioned um, at the top of the show, uh, Matthew Vaughan was scheduled to direct, but obviously had to drop out due to family and, and other reasons. Um, but some other directors included uh, Darren Aronofsky, um, Triple Warning, Joss Whedon, Rob Bowman and Alex Croyer. So that would have been quite an interesting film. Um, also, as yeah, kind of mentioned, um, any comic book fans out there, if you're familiar with it, let us know. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I think Cyclops, Cyclops was meant to be like one of if not the main character, one of the main characters in this in the story arc in the comic. And then you see him for like all of, as you said, less than five minutes on the screen. So I think it does his character a great disservice. Um, and then a little connection, um, as we've seen to, to previous series as well, a little fun fact. Um, Simon Crane was a stunt coordinator on this film, having worked on GoldenEye and Star Wars Rogue One, plus many other movies. Plus, I didn't realise legendary makeup wizard Rick Baker was also credited as a special effects and makeup consultant on this film. So, yeah, there we are. Which I didn't know that. <laughs> So I've learned a fun fact. And that's fun, folks. Also, one of the things we've got to mention was was uh, Halle Berry um, nearly didn't do this film because uh, she just was like getting pissed off over her lack of character development. Well, I don't uh, blame her, quite frankly. I would have complained. So, so she, she, I think she came in with a, a bigger salary. She managed to get a bigger salary. But, but also, I think... Um, Couldn't they have thrown in an not... extra half a million dollars and have a show of tits? They did that in Swordfish. <laughs> I, I think it was I think it was um, a Catwoman like bombing hard that made I think oh, oh maybe I could do with a hit <laughs> so wasn't this film a bit of a swordfish reunion anyway because we'll see Halle Berry oh god Vince <laughs> I'm juggernaut Hugh Jackman um, Hugh Jackman yeah it was a bit of a juggernaut um, juggernaut styley <laughs> swordfish reunion this film compared to last week which was a Goldeneye Bond reunion. I mean, not necessarily in stri- straight quality, but like, you know, it, it it does put me in mind of like the Batman Begins, the Dark Knight, and oh, the Dark Knight Rises. You've slightly <laughs> dropped the ball. Spider Man, Spider Man Two, oh, Spider Man Three. It's it's Spider Man Three. It, 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 it has it has slightly ruined a trilogy here, even though we haven't been as harsh to it as I'm sure a lot of listeners would imagine we were going to be. Um, and it's still. As a standalone sort of trilogy, don't worry, we've got X Men Orange. I was going to say it's up. more consistent oh. than what's coming because I, I think, I think two, two of the three, four, I don't know about four of the next five films. I think are all right to one degree or another. Yeah, they're, um, they're okay. Um, I mean, I, I think uh, probably Apocalypse might be the absolute. Climber. I'm not, Yeah, I haven't got as far as that. I've only, in my head, I've only gone as far as Day of Future Past there. Yeah, 
Mm. And I think, well, next week is terrible. Week after I really like. Week Days of Future Past is good. Days of Future Past and 70s. Days of Future Past is okay. Um, uh, in, between, in between that, you had the Wolverine in Japan, which I thought was okay. That Wolverine in Japan. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, but it is inconsistent. Okay. And um, obviously what, we're com- what we've got coming next, we'll talk about it more next week. But this is a film that first introduced me to the illegal download. Because they were going to release this and it leaked, but it leaked with its effects unfinished. And someone oh. someone handed me a DVD of it. I didn't even ask for it. They said, oh, you like films. Here you go. And I said, what's that? And they said, oh, I got that last night. It's, you know, this Wolverine film. <laughs> Keep it under the and table. I, and then I was like, I was a lot more like, because I'd not been initiated to this and I do like to pay for product, I'm like, I don't know whether to watch this. And I thought, well, I'll watch it on the basis that I'm going to pay for it in the cinema anyway. And then I watched it, and it was so shit I never did. Um, so I've never actually seen... Next... I've been pirating ever since. I have, I have never <laughs> seen next week's film with finished effects. But apparently really? The effect... But the finished effects apparently not much better. I fell off my chair. I know that, I know that the... there was literally green screen in some of them. Um, but I think they finished Patrick Stewart at the end of the film, his effect. And that looked terrible, because I thought that hasn't got much more you can do with it. Um, and I know that when he's accidentally destroying the bathroom, the same as Andrew Garfield did in this Amazing Spider-Man, it's that's pretty poor as well. But a lot of it is just like green screen and stuff like that. But it's also got him screaming over the body of a woman, which he did over Jean Grey this week. But it, it was almost like an internal pain. He didn't look up at the sky and sort of scream at God or something. But he, <laughs> do, he does in the next film because he's he's dating not Michelle Monaghan in, in the next Aww. film. Uh, Lynn, whatever she's called. She was also in John Lynn Carter. Lynn Collins. Lynn Collins. She was in John Carter. She she was the two best things in it. Um, <laughs> if you've seen John Carter. Oh. Um, <laughs> but she's but she's pretty good next week. But apparently, I think they went to try to get Michelle Monaghan and couldn't. And, and she is budget Michelle Monaghan. Because she's got a very similar quality. Um, but anyway, uh, as for social media, you can f- find me at the Pastor Kid 1976 on Twitter. And you can find us at Cinetrance because find all the old episodes at Cinetrance UK. You can find us on Twitter at Expect Us Talk. You can just find us on Facebook, Twitter, obviously YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Podbay, wherever you like to have us in your earballs. And you can also email us at expectustalk at gmail.com. So, what is it we're covering next week, Becca? Like a moody and sigh. Oh my gosh. Do you expect to talk about return with X-Men Origins Wolverine?